on the mountainside. Welcome everyone to August 1992 in the Legacy Series. It is SummerSlam. It is Wembley Stadium, London, England. And we have a lot to unpack in the episode in front of us. There is one thing that I do want to offer up front. It's just a thought that I was having because this is a very emergent night uh, in the context of at least one career. And I want to talk about the aspect of the ultimate warrior. Currently, I am reading a book uh, titled Carl Jung, Knowledge in a Nutshell. And when it gets to archetypes, it first talks about an archetype that we all know, whether we've read about it or not. And that is the hero. It talks about Luke Skywalker, for example. And it says that the hero is seen within the context of a positive relationship to the tribe. Uh, the hero does it for the whole galaxy, for the whole tribe. But it talks about another kind of archetype that has been separated over time from the hero, and that is the warrior. And I just want to read a paragraph on the archetype warrior. Uh, the archetypal warrior is the energy of competition for competition's sake. The drive to see who is the best, running to see who is the fastest. The archetypal warrior within each of us is our ambition, our willpower, our strength. It is how comfortable we are asserting ourselves. The warrior is expressed in society by those who get their identity through doing, through prowess, through success and achievement. A warrior is someone whose sense of self can only be injured on the battlefield. Being the best matters here. It comes to my attention that something happens at SummerSlam 1992. This is the end of the man who calls himself the ultimate warrior, Jim Helwig. But it is the launching, the main event status launching of the man who will be the WWF champion, Bret the Hitman Hart. And I've got to say, by that definition, who is the ultimate warrior? It's not Jim Helwig. I, I've never seen the ultimate warrior character care about competition for competition's sake. We barely know why he's in the WWF. And it seems like the character believes his outcomes are predetermined because when he doesn't win or when he struggles, he looks to the sky. He looks at his hands as if the power that is granted to him has nothing to do with him. It is an interesting transition to me that the world title is in the middle of the card and the ultimate warrior is fading out as the man who will be the next champion is fading in. And that is Bret Hart as the same man who will not vomit at the voodoo of Papa Shango like the ultimate warrior because he doesn't believe in it. It is a man who does not have hit maniacs. He doesn't have warriors. He says he is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And the power that he has is evidenced in the ring through his matches. So if there is an ultimate warrior in the WWF, I don't think it's Jim Helwig. I think this man's flaming out, and I think Bret Hart is on the rise. There's going to be so much to talk about. There were spots in the show that hit for me. There were spots that maybe did not so much, but we are again in an interesting time, and we will break it all down. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan. The brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans, and a special shout out to those listening from the UK because today, for one of the only times 
that we are ever going to do on the Legacy Series. We are broadcasting an event from the UK, of course. SummerSlam 1992, famously coming from Wembley Stadium. An enormous crowd, one of the largest crowds the WWE will ever see, most likely. Um, And here... On this night, indeed, we have Bret Hart taking on the British Bulldog. Is Bret Hart the true Ultimate Warrior? I don't know. We are going to talk about that. Um, but, man, we got a lot going on today, so I'm very excited to talk about all this. It's a lovely intro as usual. My friend, let's get right into it. We're in this weird phase of time where WWF is starting to struggle, and yet at the same time, if you look at the crowds, you look at WrestleMania, look at SummerSlam, you know, you got these amazing crowds. SummerSlam originally, I think, was going to be in the U.S. It was going to be Sean and Brett. I think Brett was going to drop the IT, IT title to Sean, but Brett suggested once it was in England, why don't we do Davey instead of instead of Sean? So a lot changing at the last minute. It wasn't originally that they were going to go on last, and eventually they made the call to put Bulldog and Brett on last. So a lot of influx, but I am someone who loves uh, the aesthetics of arenas, and I like the WrestleMania one. I like SummerSlam. I even love the WrestleMania 9 arena. I know that's probably controversial, but you got all these. It seems like the more certain things are not working, they're trying to really build up other aspects that usually might be taken for granted. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, I'm also the type who uh, I enjoy WrestleMania 9's venue. I like Road Wild. I like all these kind of different type places. You know, I, we talked about it WCW, the Legacy Series. One of the best things they did through their whole run is have these uh, unique venues and uh, unique sets and all that stuff. So, yeah, man, set yourself apart. And uh, as far as SummerSlam 92 goes, let's all be grateful they made the call that they did because can you imagine being sent home on this Warrior Savage finish that we're going to get in this world title match. I have so much to say about that match when we get to it. I came in with no bias. Like I said, I haven't watched that match either ever or since I was a child. I don't I won't say this up front because I try to be fair. Um, I had a big decision I had to make, and I don't know how much it distracted me, but... I had moments I was glued in on this event, and then I had moments where I could not pay attention no matter how hard I tried. Hmm. And that just goes back and forth throughout the night, and I apologize because it is our job to pay attention even if we can't pay attention. But if you can't pay attention, how do you pay attention, you know? (laughs) We're only human, and uh, when the Ultimate Warrior is on screen, then we have to... um make a judgment call for ourselves, but we will be as fair as we can be, so we will have a lot to say about that. Anything that stands out before we get into everything, just from watching the show again, anything that kind of jumps out at you? I'll just say one of my favorite nonsensical yet felt sense, supersensical sayings that any fan ever said before the show, a young fan tells us, British Bulldog's going to win whether he wants to or not. <laughs> That's my first note on my page. Thank you very much. <laughs> it makes no sense, yet it captures the spirit of this crowd and that match very well, I think. If he had not won, I don't even know. They would have come in and they would have made him win somehow. It makes no sense, but it's also kind of prophetic, I think, because <laughs> I, I don't think he didn't want to win. But I'm going to roast Bret Hart later because this is a big Bret Hart night. But I listened to a Bret Hart shoot. 
Bret Hart talking about this match. And this is why I can never praise Bret Hart, because he does so much of it that there's no room left after he's done. <laughs> so we're going to get into it. But according to Bret Hart, man, David Boy couldn't have done more to foul up this match, but Bret Hart saved him so many times. So maybe that fan knew something. I don't know how something. I feel about that, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see when we get there. But, yeah, I love that comment, because that is, that is also – pre-internet fandom like we all are so smart now and not necessarily smart in that we're more intelligent but smart in that we understand rhetoric and we pay attention to every word and we have a lot more community some ways that's really good but in other ways like that's just passion from that fan and it doesn't make sense it doesn't matter if it fully makes sense or not you understand what he's trying to get at right right in a felt sense sort of way it's uh, it makes the most sense of anything on this card yeah, and it's a beautiful thing because, like he said, they so rarely get events like this. So, mm-hmm. okay, so we got Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan on call. This is starting to become the usual team. Uh, we're going to go right down to the ring, so they're wasting no time. Um, we're, it's going to be what I first thought was the tag title match, but it wasn't. We begin with Money Incorporated versus the Legion of Doom. Yeah, and uh, I don't know how much we're going to see. Um Vince and Heenan, I feel like they're never going to be like the regular team, but I think they'll be back at Survivor Series, so maybe you are right about that. Um, uh, Heenan does have an enormous crown, and he calls Vince McMahon a peasant, so I don't want that to go uh, (laughs) unspoken of. Um, Bobby Heenan, always ready, of course. I think they do like to get their comments in on Vince while they can do it without getting in trouble. (laughs) I think so. I mean, uh, there's got to be an aspect of that. Well, I think Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkel always talked they liked wrestling um, Vern Gagne and his son in the AWA because that's a chance to, yeah, like kind of do something to the boss that you couldn't do normally. So, you know, you, you seize those opportunities when you can. Man, that's so beautiful. God. It is such, oh, I don't even know. I don't even know what I like so much about that, but I like it. And Jesse Ventura was a lot like that as well. Oh, Maybe yeah. a little too much like that, but you know, <laughs> he would, his shots were often very pointed, you know, so, but yeah, you got to, you got to have a sense of humor. If you behave like Vincent Mann and then you can't have a sense of humor in return, then I don't know what happens. Yes, I'll say uh, probably a strength of Vince McMahon is how much at times he wanted to be uh, one of the boys and just, um, you know, be be in the mix, and we'll see that come to his advantage later in the Legacy Series. Absolutely. So what did you think about opening here? Number one, we get Ted DiBiase's music, and you realize it's still one of the best things in the WWF to start the show. <laughs> you get uh, LOD on bikes, and uh, Vince is very excited about the dummy driving the motorcycle. <laughs> that freaking dummy. <laughs> oh, it, we're going to just slide right by that dummy because this is it for the Legion of Doom. Oh. We won't see him until 1997 and they will be much changed. Um, so fortunately, we need to slide by that dummy. I'll just say you joked about uh, the dummy's not as bad as Paul Ellering, but watching like week to week and watching this dummy mm. like speak, actually speak for this team. It's embarrassing, man. Like there's a story. I think um, on the ride home from SummerSlam, uh, the dummy was mysteriously destroyed, and uh, <laughs> Hawk and Animal couldn't explain why exactly. So take that for what you will. But man, what a stupid thing! Like, just unbelievable that this was ever even in the conversation. How is that not deliberately sabotaged? Because right. 
there's no argument that they're not over and that they've not been over their whole career. So there's not an issue to even be addressed. So there's a non-issue that is addressed by a, a puppet. I don't understand. Again, like, this is why when everybody's like, that has to be a rib. Like, everything that happens in the WWF, like, 40% of it can't be ribbed. So, like, sometimes it's just, this is really stupid stuff and really bad choices. Right? I don't listen to uh, Bruce Pritchard or any of those podcasts. I'm just not that kind of guy. But I'm both curious and not what he would say about it. Because he would probably just say that, like, it was great and the Road Warriors didn't, like, commit hard enough or something. But just, like, I don't know. It's some baffling stuff. I cannot understand it. I I don't see how they tolerated it. I'm surprised that this that they didn't lose the dummy earlier. <laughs> I thought they destroyed it on the way to SummerSlam, but then I saw it on the bike, so I knew that couldn't be true. But there's definitely a rumor that that dummy met a uh, terrible end before all was said and done. This is, to me, one of the worst. We'll get into it, but and I'm not talking about matches, but gimmick-wise, I hate this tag division right now. Mm. Yeah, it's very disappointing, because even the good teams... They just don't live up to it. I don't know. This match is not bad, I think. It's a solid match. It's not amazing yeah. or anything. But um, I know what you mean, though, because the tag division uh, is an early victim, maybe, of uh, of what we're going to get, kind of the low points of the new generation. It is. They're privileging the nasty boys, the natural. Anybody managed by Jimmy Hart is privileged at the top right now. And guys <laughs> like LOD are like kind of just barely hanging on and need new gimmicks in order to like stay on that level. I'm surprised they won here with them uh, going uh, out too. the door. So that that was even a little surprising there. Ted DiBiase is starting to look more like the manager we're going to see in 94 than the guy in the 80s. Yeah, sadly. It's weird how fast he changed over because yeah. it was, what, 1990? He was with Dusty and um, 91 with Virgil and all this stuff. I'm telling you, on paper, you look at Money, Inc., and you get, like, a blast of, I don't know, nostalgia or something. Like, something tells you in your brain, ooh, Money, Inc., that's that's exciting. And yet, in mm. my experience, actually experiencing this team is just not nearly as fun as you would think. So, I don't know what it is, but yes, Ted DiBiase will quickly be flipping over here from one of the best things in the WWF to a guy you're like, oh, well, okay, there's Money, Inc. I'm still looking forward to them. But it's not hitting right, no matter no matter what happens, whether the match is good, not good, it's just not hitting, like you said, the way that you imagined that it would and should. Yeah, I have the same experience, and every time I go back to them, I fall for it again. I'm like, I must have been wrong, you know, like, they're going to do yeah. it for me this time. And man, they just don't really. They're not terrible. Like, in this tag division, they're still probably one of the better teams, but it's like, geez, you know, you just would think that they would be a lot more fun than they are. Absolutely. There's a couple of nice moments, I, at least in front of me right here. One where Bobby Heenan says, while IRS is being dominated, he's standing on his tongue. And Vince Man says, that's not his tongue, that's his tie. <laughs> Bobby Heenan loved to do that with the tie. That was a recurring um, mistake, quote-unquote. Uh, it's good stuff. I would also mention... Watch when um, one of LOD goes for a clothesline out the top. IRS does maybe the best last-second duck I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, Rotunda. um, I still say not the most thrilling wrestler, but he definitely has uh, his moments in all this. So good good work on his part. 
Also in the booth, uh, we have uh, Bobby Heenan explaining that the sleeper doesn't work on Hawk because uh, the sleeper cuts out blood to the brain, and Hawk doesn't have a brain, so it was a strategic mistake. That's awesome. I think Hawk would agree with that and do it proudly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Hawk. Oh, my gosh. I still love Hawk. The referee misses. You ever see matches where the referee is pretty much a heel because he's only missing one. He's only missing tags on one side of the ring and it's oh, only yeah. holding people back. Very common. So I was thinking about like athletes watch their game tape back over and over. Can you imagine how many referee mistakes could be fixed if they just would watch one or two tapes of themselves refereeing? <laughs> We'd have to uh, reinvent half of wrestling then. So I guess uh, they're probably banned from doing so. <laughs> I think so. It's just, man, some of it, you know, this was an especially bad job by the referee. It was indeed. Um, yeah, like you said, it's funny because I, I don't really watch much sports, but occasionally, uh, usually in like an NBA game or something, I will see my Twitter timeline fill up with like hatred for the referee or something. Mm-hmm. And I just, man, if people were looking at wrestling the same way, I think uh, every night I would have that. So Yeah, <laughs> it'd be a hard job. But, I mean, at the same time, it's Ted DiBiase who has paid off referees in the match, so I don't think it's unfair to at least ask a question. That's true. Who knows if this referee is even who he appears to be. He could be um, mm-hmm. a plastic surgery uh, double. You know, there's precedent for it. There is precedent for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hawk's the one who takes the beating. Animal gets the hot tag. Animal can boogie. Like, once in a while, I always think in my mind, maybe it's later in the 90s, I think, but Hawk was so explosive and Animal was kind of big and slow and dull. But, like, the matches I've been watching, Animal has been impressing me more than the Animal I have in my mind. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're here much closer to the, um, uh, you know, Legion of Doom of Prime as opposed to what we're going to see later and what we saw maybe in parts of WCW, the Legacy Series. Mm. Man, they were great. Like, I will never tolerate these comments that all their matches weren't very good. I mean, God, they're not, um, you know, the greatest tag team you could ever see as far as in-ring goes. But, man, they could do some damn cool stuff. Like, I'm always impressed both by Hawk and really by Animal because, like you say, he can do some awesome stuff as well. And would they be better? Like, if they just started breaking down, like, ten, like, moves that Bret Hart might do or someone else, like, would that make them better or would it be stupid? <laughs> Exactly. Like, play to your strength. I mean, just look at this crowd. Like, they're, this crowd is hot for just about everything, but like, they're very hot for the Road Warriors. And, uh, you know, just when something works, it works. I was probably just that dummy they were hot for. So, what do I know? Yeah. They're perfect, though, like, in what they do, because even their muscle, it's not show muscle. It's not even like Lex Luger, Sting Muscle, or whoever else. Like, it's just freaking boulders of body that looks like. If they accidentally ran into you, they would kill you. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Oh man, just the physical aura and energy of these guys. No, you're right. Like not even in a ring. Like if they were walking down the street and they didn't see you and they walked into you, you would just be like particles flying in the air. So yes. no, that's perfect. Even Lex Luger, who's six foot five, two seventy five, has talked about like early in his career doing war games and stuff and being hit by the Road Warriors for the first time. Oof. I'm surprised he didn't quit so, right there or maybe go ask for a bonus at least. So that's, that's yeah. something. But, you know, like, how should that person wrestle? Like, 
I wish people could understand that. I know there are people who do, but also probably people who don't, that they have the smartest wrestling style that they could possibly have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's no coincidence that they will go around to different territories and, like, pop the gates up much higher than before consistently. Like, these guys were just a legitimate draws because people like to see what they would do. Like, sometimes when something works, it works, and you can't, like, outthink that, nor should you try. Yeah, absolutely. This one, there's chances for them to win big with their finisher. Um, IRS, I think, breaks up a double team with a drop kick. So eventually it will be Ted DiBiase will run into IRS. Animal will hit a big power slam. And the LOD, like he says, surprisingly in some ways, get the victory here. I was surprised, yeah, just knowing they were going out the door and just knowing um, what Jimmy Hart does for you in this era. So uh, no privilege for Jimmy Hart tonight. And uh, thank God the Nasty Boys will not be on this card unless I'm not forgetting a match, am I? I don't think they're here, right? They have a random promo for no reason, but they yeah. don't wrestle. Well, we can be grateful for that anyway. I can't yeah. stand the Nasty Boys. I don't know, some folks out there, and more power to you, some folks will really rep for the Nasty Boys, and I try to see it, and man, I just cannot stand these guys. I just, they are intolerable to me. Yeah, I'm not mad at anybody's fandom, but for me, like, honestly, if you, if you offered me a million dollars and to be a fan of theirs, but there's a lie detector, like, I would have no, I have no in in order to make myself like them to receive the money. <laughs> A cruel scenario, but uh, yes, I know just what you mean. It just doesn't work. And for Vince McMahon, maybe I'll find it in my notes, but I just said at one point I just talked about what his taste must be because (laughs) everything is turning me off is just this kind of simple-minded. Everything just needs to be so big. It doesn't matter what kind of big. It just needs to be freakish big or freakish weird, and that that makes it okay. Like That's good enough to run your show off of. Need the biggest armpit for someone to be yeah. smashed into, and you've got it, by God. I'll say, in WCW The Legacy Series, I was suffering for how long they were around, and now, you know, fortunately I'm on the other side, because I think they'll be gone um, before too long. Like, in 94, certainly, they'll be fighting Sullivan and Foley and stuff, and maybe before that even. So, yeah, get the gun, you know, go plague past Miz fans, so present Miz fan can have more fun in the tag division. Absolutely. It's weird how we can do the Legacy Series and they can be on both the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. There was never a worse team more politically connected because they're in with Hogan and Dusty and just like everyone, apparently. And I don't know. Maybe they were like the greatest guys to have around in life. That could totally be possible. I wouldn't even blink at that. But God, just... As wrestlers and their wrestling personas, like I said, I can hardly tolerate them. Yeah. X-Pac's another one that, in the height of the Monday Night War, when everything is like most um, difficult between companies, I think X-Pac is on both shows for the entirety of the Monday Night War. <laughs> that I'm grateful for. I actually wish he was around longer in WCW because uh, I'm a big fan of Sean Waldman. I look forward to re-examining his legacy because I know in the later half he gets a a bad reputation and I'm going to have to see it to believe it. Maybe I'll be turned around, but God, everything I've seen of Sean Waltman has been really enjoyable. So I'm probably going to be out here repping for him. 
Yeah, some of his stuff that's so special mm. is up up front. So we're about to be into some some truly nice uh, material. Oh, I can't wait! I I know the 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 match with the stuff with Razor is going to be so yeah. good, and uh, is that match with Brett? I've seen that yep. and that. Oh, that's phenomenal stuff. So uh, there's even more I know. So I'm gonna wait and just unearth a bunch of gems. I think I'm really looking forward to it. And to be in that era too, with he does that, then shortly after. Um, maybe a year or two, Barry Horowitz, you know, defeats Skip. Mm. And this is a time where these folks are not supposed to be doing that. Like, it it, it almost crashes the whole system. So it's <laughs> historical and it's, like, excellent quality. Oh, yeah, no, there's going to be some very good stuff. There'll be some bad stuff as well, but, like, WWF will have to be very experimental at times, and, you know, we know that will pay off with Austin, but before then I think we're going to see a lot of, like, half-forgotten stuff that we are going to enjoy. So, you know, there'll be ups and downs, but uh, it's like a rich, like really uncharted for me territory we're getting into. So that, that's very exciting. I can't wait. I don't think I've ever worked with you where you were in that predicament. I don't know. I mean, WCW, I did not know very well at all before we started. So that's probably similar, but yeah, I mean, right now we're in stuff that I watched exhaustively only like a couple years ago. So, I, I know everything before it happens here, but yeah, we're really going to get into a time where I'm going to be in the dark, and uh, I'm excited because that's that's the most exciting, honestly. And also, it wouldn't be a legacy series if we both didn't go through times where you know it was like that. So, mm-hmm. like, we're watching so much material that neither of us can know all of it, and that that in itself is um, a bit of an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with you, your memory, I know, is uh, kind of questionable at times. So uh, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with you rediscovering stuff and uh, maybe getting hit with blasts of nostalgia as we go through all this. Yeah, it's great. And speaking of, Gene Oakland is with Flair, who has been a, has been a like a jewel in this era, but is I think it's slowly going to move to the set, to the other side of this of his run. Well, he gets a big role tonight, but he does not get to wrestle, and um, I don't know. Like, I'll be curious to watch with Flair, because he's going to be a big deal, like, right to the end. Like, his thing with Perfect is going to be very significant, but it's just not the same as walking around with the WCW title, as calling out Hogan, as winning the Rumble, all this stuff. It's just not quite on that level. So, yeah, I think already we've seen him kind of drop a bit and he'll drop a little bit more, but they'll, they'll still be good stuff. I think in here, yeah, he is embarking on what might be the dumbest storyline meets dumbest <laughs> booked match I've ever watched in my life. Oh, so I don't think I can say that with all that Russo stuff we watched in WCW, but man, it is, it is up there. Unfortunately, it's just so bizarre. Like we'll get into it. And maybe I would even accept someone explaining to me why it's not, because it's not that, it was just like the Russo stuff to me was just this stuff sucks. This stuff sucks. This stuff sucks. Okay, it's over. <laughs> this is like I've never seen them try so hard but miss so many marks. Yeah, no, it is bizarre. And we called out this storyline for not making a lick of sense on the last show. And it will just increase here because it, it's baffling. It's very strange what we're going to talk about. Yeah, we'll take it as it comes, but it turned out worse than what I imagined. <laughs> the promo after the match, we'll get to it. But Flair right here, he is dressed to wrestle, which if I was watching, I would be disappointed by the fact that he says he's dressed to wrestle, but he doesn't wrestle because I would think maybe he's going to save 
from the challenger uh, for the world title tonight. <laughs> if only, yeah. Um, but yes, Ric Flair here is wrestling gear. He complains about not having a chance to wrestle for the title. Gene Okerlund asks him pointedly about Mr. Perfect. He says, <laughs> oh, this match will be the most controversial match that we'll ever have. And boy, mm. is that not true. But um, <laughs> they really, really draw this out. And this was part of their problem the whole time, is just how drawn out this stupid question yes. is. And Okerlund asks him for what feels like half an hour about, like, oh, who's he going to fight? And, like, leaving gaps for Flair to speak, and Flair doesn't speak, and all this. And it is just so drawn out. And you're right, they're putting so much effort into this, but the mystery, it is just not compelling because... Well, like we said, who cares who Mr. Perfect is out there to help? Do you understand that this is our favorite kind of booking? That, that <laughs> there's a mystery. It's ongoing. They're going to go to the locker rooms. They're going to ask other wrestlers. Like the thing that we talk about when wrestling is at its height, they are doing that here. And it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And maybe part of it's hindsight I would ask folks who remember like watching the build to this. Maybe you even like was there. Because I don't get this vibe, but maybe if there was a feeling that, like, Savage or Warrior might turn heel here, then, like, maybe you could have a feeling of excitement. I don't think that's been built up very well, but, like, if someone thought that, that's the only thing I can think of that might cause any excitement out of this. Even that, though, would be that one of them might turn heel, but the spotlight is on. One of them might be with Mr. Perfect, and Mr. Perfect would cause the other one to lose, and again... If I if the Ultimate Warrior is my favorite wrestler, I don't care if Randy Savage turns heel and has Mr. Perfect. That doesn't make me think Mr. Perfect can beat the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> yes, as much as I love Mr. Perfect, you are right. With the fact that he would be in someone's corner is like a non-factor, especially because like he barely gets physical in this era because he's got his injury and his weird like insurance policy and like everything about. So he's not even like doing things. I said in the last match, like, if it were who will Sherry be with, that would be something because she'll get in and, like, wallop the guy and, like, beat him to death with her purse and just, like, she'll make a difference in the match. Mr. Perfect? Like, I love Mr. Perfect, but he doesn't do shit in this era, so who cares? It's just very strange. One might remember in their last encounter that Randy Savage hit the Ultimate Warrior with 72 elbow drops out the top and that did not beat him. Right, right. Like, it feels like... I just don't know how it can be a factor in a match like this, so it's very strange. It's a weird mystery, because also then, if you want to go a step deeper, why would Ric Flair be with Mr. Perfect while Mr. Perfect is helping someone who apparently is going to turn heel and become a world champion? And what does that do for Ric Flair? I don't understand. That seems like it does something maybe for Mr. Perfect, and maybe he's even moving on, but I don't see how that helps Ric Flair. Yeah, none of these pieces fit. And you're right, there seems to be so much effort behind this. So uh, this is another one where I'd love to hear, like, the story. But then again, I wouldn't believe any story I heard. So what's the point? I think it's just we know we don't have Hulk Hogan. We got the Ultimate Warrior instead. Ultimate Warrior can't tell a story. So let's give let's give something like a story bigger than <laughs> the people in it. But it, it pisses me off still because... Ric Flair's going to beat Randy Savage for the world title, so you could, you could at least do Savage Flair. You don't have to even do Savage Warrior, and the Warrior can't carry a storyline. Like, why is he here? Yeah, man, a Warrior could just, like, on the show, Crush will beat Repo Man. Uh, warrior <laughs> could have just done that. Like, that would have been fine, yeah. you know. Or maybe he could just do nothing like Ric Flair did. That would also be fine. 
It's, it's wild because what Mr. Perfect will do is trip you when you're running off the ropes. And again, I just want to remind you that Randy Savage hit his finisher 72 times and didn't beat the Warrior. But they, these two, like larger than life superstars, are scared to death that one of them is going to be running off the ropes and Mr. Perfect is going to trip them. <laughs> you know, it's too much. Uh, I don't even know how scared they are because, like, for all this, I feel like they don't even really sell it very much. Like the, the, the possible interference. I don't feel like they maybe care. They're more offended at like the idea that Mr. Perfect could help the other guy than actually have any concern about what he would do. The, they conceded though in the past that they would lose the match if he was, at least <laughs> one of them did. I don't know if both of them did. Yeah. Warrior did, but like, I don't it's, know if he knew what he was saying. Like he's warriors. So. Yeah. It's wild, but you know this. This is what you got. This is the story. Um, Virgil is with Sean Mooney. Virgil, you gotta want it, man. He says, you know, <laughs> before he goes out and wrestle nails. <laughs> yes, Virgil is shadow boxing, and Sean Mooney says nails is the cruelest man in the WWF. And I will uh, let the fans decide if that is true or not. Mm. This is a bad match. It's not too good. Like, I've seen worse, but Nails has a terrible reputation, which uh, he pretty much deserves. Um, Virgil is past his sell-by date already, unfortunately. You know, I love the DiBiase feud, but it just never carried over into anything. So, it's a squash. Nails does, like, a weird hold. I'm just sitting here missing the big boss man. So, that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, it feels like boss man's already gone. It does, yeah. Like, he'll wrestle Nails at Survivor Series, I think, but uh, he'll be gone by early 93. So, you know, we we love the man and still do, but he will not uh, be long for this Legacy Series. There's a moment where Nails punches the mat because Virgil moves in. It looks like he would be in pain, but he just comes up with the dumbest look on his face. He looks <laughs> a lot like Lowell Mathers uh, in that moment for anyone who wants to look that up. Uh, that that one is lost on me. Who is that? That is a character from Wings, and he's just an idiot the entire series. He doesn't understand anything. And that was Nails' look on his face after he punched him at. That sounds about right, yes. As I said, Nails has a terrible uh, reputation, so he's going to earn it, I think, right here. He wins with a sleeper, I think. Yeah, some yeah. kind of weird chokehold. I don't he's know. He's got a nice stick. Everybody's got a nice stick. Everybody's got shock stick, you know, just confiscate things at the door and you can solve a lot of problems <laughs> again they would have to redo half of wrestling then so you know they don't want to go too far yeah so nails i get the idea i remember he was very confusing to me as a kid like the fact that he was in jail i think doing promos or sitting in a cell or doing something like it caught my interest early but you know you gotta have someone who can sustain it and i don't know if he can or not I don't know if we're going to hear it, but he had, like, the gimmicked voice that was, like, modulated to be lower mm. than it actually was. Very ah, yeah. weird. <laughs> what an interesting... This is it's a very Vince McMahon thing to do. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, messing with voices, you got to imagine, like, um, they're looking forward to Shockmaster here already. So, we got yeah. the Shockmaster on this card, so he's probably looking at it. Um, just another thing that WWF did first. <laughs> Absolutely. We go to who one of the MVPs of the night, in my opinion, and that is Mr. Lord Alfred Hayes. Absolutely. The only redeeming grace of this entire uh, Mr. Perfect situation we will see through the night. 
Alfred Hayes will be trying to locate Mr. Perfect backstage. He is knocking on Macho Man's door. No one answers. He explains it just, I love the way he explains this. I think you have to see it to appreciate it, but he like gives you the rundown and it's like he's doing a nature documentary or something. I don't know. I love it though. Alfred Hayes is amazing. He always sounds like that. He's very observational in his commentary. Yes, very, very. And he's going to get bolder the next time we see him. So he's got more stuff to do. I'm already looking forward to it. The next time we have something like this with the big mystery, maybe not the next time, but 19, uh, SummerSlam 94 is a lot like this. With It's kind of got a dual mystery with Luger and Tatanka and the under, fake Undertaker versus the real Undertaker, and it's a lot like, I think, what's happening here. I hope Alfred Hayes is still around to investigate it. Absolutely. Love so Gene Erkeland is with Sherry. Um, I don't know how to say this and, and still be taken seriously, but... <laughs> Gene Erkland is with Sherry before what to me is one of the greatest matches of all time. Oh, I love this match coming up. This is a great match. This is as great as anything on the card, really, to me. And um, it's not <laughs> – it's just fun. Like, I'm sorry. You need if you, if you don't like this, then perhaps you need to have more fun. And I shouldn't say that, but I'm just going to say it. I oh, – oh, my God. For me pers- personally, we'll get to it. All right, so Sherry, Gina Clinton's with Sherry. Sherry has kind of been the instigator in all of this. Like She has um, been the manager of Shawn Michaels. She has obviously been very infatuated with Shawn Michaels, but the model has come down to her ring siding and winked at Sherry, who at first looked taken in the back, but then she turns around and winks at the model, and she wants to see this matchup. She wants to see who would win, but Sherry has one stipulation. Neither man can hit the other in the face. I say, if you've never seen the clips of uh, Sherry and Martel winking at each other, I'll just say, like, if New Generation had all been stuff like this, then it would have been the greatest uh, promotion that ever existed. So it's just, it is delightful. You know, yes. all this stuff, it's wonderful. I love it. And Gene and Sherry play off each other so well in this. Oh, they're perfect. They're they're both perverts together, you know. <laughs> yes. So like they're they're made for each other. Gene Oakland just goodness sakes alive, and you were wearing this, and it's like okay, you're supposed to be telling us what happened in the story, and they're they're the very flirtatious spirit is in the air, and I really don't think. Um, I think I said it at one moment. I thought that Sean, Rick Martel, Sherry. Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan were all going to leave together. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been historical, too, because you wouldn't have an announced, but it's like it's never happened that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I think Sherry could have taken them all, so I'm, I'm with you there. I'll just say this. I swear I didn't even think of this specifically, but how many times have I said, like, the world title storyline of, like, whose corner will the manager be in? It would be better if it were Sherry. Well, guess what? I wasn't even thinking of it. Yeah. But basically, they're doing the same storyline here, but they're doing it a thousand times better. And part of that is because it's Sherry. And Sherry is just so damn good. But also, they're doing it in a fun way that makes sense and not a stupid way that makes no sense. So, man, this is great stuff right here. Yeah, a thousand times better. And it's because of Sherry, but it's also because of Shawn Michaels. And Rick Martel, because I feel like yes. with their egos and their pride, if she betrays one of them for the other, they lose something. 
If yeah, Mr. Perfect yeah. betrays mm-hmm. one of these men, they don't lose anything. So that right there by itself tells you the difference. Yeah, yeah. It also helps that both people involved actually uh, understand, you know, what's going on yes. in the world. And <laughs> neither of them is the ultimate warrior. I'll just say for Savage, like, maybe he was just in a bad situation, but, like, his star is not shining on this night. And uh, I hate to say that as a big Savage fan, but, um, you know, he's, he's like, barely on my radar here. Yeah. To be fair, and I love Savage, we've seen him like this a couple of times, so it can happen from time to time. Yeah. I think, what's the story of, like, Savage and Shawn Michaels and Savage told Michaels, like, man, you shouldn't try so hard every night. Like, you'll you'll wear yourself out. Something like Mm -hmm. that. I'm not saying Savage came out here, like, the intention of not trying hard, but, like, I have heard that story, so I think Savage is definitely the kind of guy who, like, kind of tried to save it for the right moment instead of kind of going out there and killing it every night. And, you know, there's some validity to that, but I'll just let let us all think about that as we watch Randy Savage going forward. Yeah, and when did WWF start coming to him and say, hey, you know, you'd rather be an announcer and work backstage, wouldn't you? Yeah, who knows? Like, they could be prepping for that already. Savage will lose that title to Ric Flair soon, and he will never get it back. So that, you know, that'll tell you something right there. Yeah, and Savage... He behaves differently than Flair. Like, he doesn't cry and stuff and lose his confidence in that way. But he's another man that I think if if someone important starts telling him you're not as good as you were, that it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. We've said many times how this toxic relationship with Hulk Hogan will hamper Randy Savage's career. He will run over to Hogan in WCW. And, um, you know, he will never escape his shadow again, basically. So, yeah, I mean, Randy Savage... Uh, I think a, a highly sensitive person in some ways, and uh, yeah. that was often to his detriment. I will say, too, I don't want Hulk Hogan on this because WWF needs to move on from Hulk Hogan, and they won't do it when Hulk Hogan's there. But if I was a Hulk Hogan fan, this would be an argument this night for me of you can tell a difference when Hulk Hogan's not there. Sure, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at this world title scene, you, you could miss Hulk Hogan. I would understand it. I don't, but I could understand it. Yeah. And Warrior's face paint seems to fall off easier, and the only look I've seen on his face since he's come back is like a dumb, I don't know where I'm at or what's going on look. Didn't he always have that, or is it new? Uh, he's probably always had it, but I think he had more face paint that already lasted longer. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So here's the thing I'm going to say, because I realize I want to get to a context. I still got a respirator heart, but after I get done with that, <laughs> I want to get to the context. At one time, I think a lot of people consider this one of the greatest matches of all time. And, sure. you know, it launched Bret Hart. You know, it launched Bulldog, but it launched Bret to the next level. So I want to give it all its due while also saying that if it's just my personal fandom, I don't know if anything beats Shawn Michaels in the model. This, to me... <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't know that I've ever been happier watching a match in my life. Like, maybe I've been as happy, but I don't know if I've ever been happier watching a match in my life. Yeah, I mean, I know just what you mean. I think, for me, I would have to admit that the the main event match is, is certainly a better match in terms of what people usually mean when they say that. But if you said you have to sit here... And rewatch a match right now, I would definitely right. pick Martell and Michaels. And that means something, you know? Yeah, it does. And so what I also see it as is the anti-world title match because... <laughs> yes. 
what happened in the world title match, and I need to watch it again because, like I said, I've been distracted by some things. But seven, let's see, hmm, four times, I'll say. I'll try not to over-exaggerate. Four times I just stopped watching because I knew the match had to be, like, ending. And then it would go another ten minutes, and then another ten minutes. And I don't know how long they wrestled. I feel like they wrestled for at least three hours just themselves. (laughs) It's an absurdly long match, especially for Warrior being in it. It is uh, 26 minutes and 15 seconds, which is about... uh, 15, 20 minutes too long for a Warrior match, so I'll just say that. It's yeah, the shockingly is long. They start wrestling like a full blast at the beginning. Yeah. And this match to me is like that a lot in that I kept thinking this one was over, and then it wouldn't be, and I would just start laughing again because it was so good <laughs> and so ridiculous. Like We'll get to each of the times that I thought it was over and it wasn't, but I give a 10 out of 10 to Shawn Michaels, to Sherry, and to Rick Martell. Like, none of them could have done anything to make this match better than it was it's genuinely a delightful match i love it and it's shocking to me again because like we're gonna lose sherry and uh we won't lose martel but he'll basically be kind of like thrown in the bin as wrestlers are and just like watching this how in god's name do you let that happen like it's just baffling to think about that but the match itself like yes it is delightful over and over and over again and you know I, I could see some people, like, not caring about this match. Yeah. Like, I could understand that perspective. So maybe if it's not for you, it is what it is. But, man, if you're a fan like us, I think you will be genuinely delighted by this match. This is also a weird night because this is heel versus heel, and both title matches are face versus face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. Like, that is weird to think about. This night, at times I thought this felt like a night where – this wasn't WWF. It was like just somebody with a lot of money just put like a mega show on, and it's not associated <laughs> with a company. Uh, they 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 came out different in the UK, I guess. They they had a different mindset. Something I don't know, but like some of it works really well, and others not so much. But this definitely this is a huge high point of the show. I think this is also a feather in the cap of the model because another one of his great matches is the blindfold match, and yes. so. To have worked two matches that are so gimmick-driven and character-driven and to me knock both of them out of the park is an exclusive and interesting kind of category to be in. Sure, yeah. I mean, I know a few others uh, who could do all that. And uh, and and in all this, let's remember, this is a guy who was a natural babyface, who was actually, like, more yeah. well-suited for that role. So to see how he has transitioned and has continued to just nail everything put in front of him it's incredible like there's a reason this guy will come back in 98 and to me for like two months will be like one of the best wrestlers in wcw just like randomly out of nowhere this guy ah rick martell is so great what a legend and then he just leaves because he's killing it in real estate so that to me that's another (laughs) wild i didn't even know that that makes me so happy what what a delightful ending to rick martell's story i hope he's so happy in life (laughs) Yes. So Shawn Michaels actually gets a decent pop on his way to the ring. Um, I say he looks like a kind of a heavy set Luna Vachon, but you know, that's okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to Luna. That's, that's, that's a good shout out. I see it yeah. for sure. Vince I'll McMahon just say said. this, and okay. this may be my own taste, but I think Sherry Martel has never looked better than on this night. Um, I don't know if it's the outfit or what or just hitting me just right, but man, like, 
I, I would I would have a fight like this for Sherry uh, on this night when she's looking like this. This is, a, in a weird way, this is her Miss Elizabeth night. <laughs> yes, and she has so much more agency in it, so God bless her. But it's like, it's the height of kind of being wanted, being the center of attention, but it's, it's in her own way and her, you know, her own world. So it's another thing that this is also edgy in a way that, but it sits in a stupid show where the ultimate warrior is wrestling Randy Savage. And the whole lesson is like, they're both so good that they, they, you know, they would never sell out, even though I accuse them of selling out. Like it's that stupid <laughs> stuff. And then here's Sherry. Like Sherry created all of this. Yep. And we're going to see it later at the end of the match. And some after the match is just as good as the match. And it's part of the match because the match is not a match, but it's something better than a lot of matches. Absolutely. Five star uh, post match shenanigans in this one. So good. I was about to read Vincent Mann's quote, but I want to give a little space. But, but before between your great praise of Sherry looking better than she's ever looked in my reading. So Vincent Mann says there's a part of Sherry's outfit that's missing. Oh, um, yeah, this big man, like, I, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> oh, I love that outfit, though, and I love the part that's missing. I'll just say it flat out. <laughs> My favorite thing about Vincent Man, I think, in the whole world is that he is the one that creates all of this, and then he sits back in the booth like everything shocks him. <laughs> Like who are the, who would do something like that? Oh my god, my sensibilities and like he's the he's the owner of the company. I was saying, Vince has his flaws on commentary and certainly uh, in other aspects of life, but man, like I truly enjoy him at times, especially you know his on-screen persona through these years and through some later years. Like there's just something about Vince McMahon, and you're right, like the fact that he made all this and then he gets to sit there and react to it, and just the way he does, like sometimes. Uh, it's just a joy to watch. So it, he's very fun in this match. Yeah. Everyone is, like you said, Vincent Heenan are also like just killing it right here. <laughs> yes. I don't even want this to end, so I'm trying to really take my time with. <laughs> so a three-hour show just on this match. I could probably do it to be honest. It, so it's it is one of the greatest pieces. Of, this is character-driven, gimmick-driven. So to me, oh, so many things have to come in line because. WWF can't give you a bad gimmick, and that's not your that's not yours to say. Like you got to have the right gimmick, but then you got to have personality and be able to embody it, and then you got to understand all the aspects of what's going on. Mm. Like there's so much playfulness in this, and yet somehow it's also kind of serious. Like they're just as competitive as our our heroes. Uh, that's another thing about the hero and warrior archetypes. They said that. The warrior archetype can lead to a lot of negative, like a lot of shadow things, like you're over aggressive, you know. But in time, we separated the warrior from the hero and just gave a black and white kind of goody good hero that, you know, has no shadow. And that world title match gives us heroes who have no shadow. This right here gives us shadows that have a little bit of hero. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, I mean, this is like. 1987 level of creativity and yet there's like a flavor to it that i think they wouldn't have even done then because i don't know if there's just like a campy aspect that they kind of lean into better at this time where it's just like the people involved or something even the way it's shot but something about this just works on such a i love that word you said playful it's very playful i love that yeah and it's intergenerational like this is not the new generation and this is not like 
X-Pac and Michaels doing this. This is Rick Martel, who is firmly in generations past, and Shawn Michaels, who's going to be a staple of the new generation. And to me, it's even more beautiful that, that it can be something so specific, but people coming from two different worlds can both make it work together. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Oh, this is such fun stuff. If you've never seen this, take a look. Take a look and just enjoy it if you can. You want to talk about more legacy? This is Rick Martel helping to put a young Shawn Michaels over when he's also going to be the guy who puts Razor Ramon over for the IC title later on. Oh, absolutely. Rick Martel, I think, a guy who had no problem elevating others. Not that Michaels even needs to be elevated so much here, but just like, yeah, Rick Martel um, giving 110%, absolutely, and just uh, making this match so fun. And, and we'll, just, we'll just keep like... Uh, Moving from person to person as we keep praising, and praise, and praise. <laughs> but like with Elizabeth and Savage, because they're the staple couple, Elizabeth could never have feelings. Even though we know she had feelings for Hulk Hogan, like in the gimmick, we still later act like it didn't happen. <laughs> you know, because she has to be a certain type. Savage has to be a certain type. Sherry is very fluid, and you know she can move. She can. She could come in with Michaels, actually be preferencing Martel, go back to Michaels, and all of them, they could leave her or carry. Like, you really don't know what's going to happen because there's not this ridiculous expectation that this person has to be one single way and they can't have any kind of other feelings or thoughts or ideas. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we saw it hinted at, and I think uh, Benjamin Button mentioned it in the forum, is that uh, when she left Ted DiBiase, like, they kind of left it open that they were still together. So you want to talk about fluid, like Sherry and oh, yeah. will be anywhere and everywhere and maybe in more places uh, than one at one time. She said it plain out that he was that he was happy for her and the door was still open. And I think she's going to make good on that. And I do think, like <laughs> I said, that there was a moment in time where the announced booth was going to leave with them. And it would have been historical, but I don't think the world is ready for it. <laughs> Oh, uh, like if there was ever a match where everyone uh, could have left together, it feels like this is the one. So I think the only if I had to knock a point off the match, I don't think they should have drop kicked in the face or like done boots to the face at all either. <laughs> well, you're you're with Sherry then. You you agree with her stipulation. So yeah, because like you want the punch in the face to be so big that if it because here's another thing. If you all right, we're talking about this match is great from a gimmick, point, but what about psychology? That these two made it so that later in the match, and we'll, we'll work our way there, but later in the match, when one is about to throw a punch, the punch now seems like the most like devastating. Like, oh, my God, you can't throw a punch in a wrestling match. <laughs> they build it up well, but I take your point. They could have built it up even better because they kind of go to the face uh, yeah. earlier than they need to. If you hold off on that, I think, yeah, you might get more, uh, even more impact. But, you know, it still works, though, so yes. I can't take that point off fully. The only thing that, like, no boots to the face. I like the idea that they could slap each other's faces because, you know, it really is a, in kind of a flip of the kind of stereotype gender thing that, I don't know when 90210 was on the air, but somewhere around this time, Brenda and Kelly will be slapping each other in the face because I, Dylan and his leather jacket are so appealing that, you know, and you, you get kind of like, these two won't punch each other, but they'll slap each other back and forth over Sherry. So it's kind of nice to watch. Sherrod looked good in a leather jacket. I think she wears one later. Maybe yeah. Harlem Heat. So I'd, I'd slap someone for Sherry. I'll just say it. You have definitely made your point clear, Miss Fan. 
my favorite. I, man. I don't. I feel. I think this is gonna be the one episode where even BK and our prof and Button are gonna be like, you know, guys, everybody misses once in a while, but so um, every <laughs> oh, every no show can be engaging. No way, they'll be with us. I believe they'll <laughs> be with us. Although they, like you, may uh, be waiting for me to calm down about Sherry, so I'll, I'll, I'll quiet down about that. So. Let me be clear that I am not waiting for that. You, you do what <laughs> you do. I was just, you know, I was observing like Lord Alfred Hayes. <laughs> oh no if i become gene okerlund all right that's all right i'll i'll accept it in this instance this is like we're both obviously busy we're stressed we're adults in trying to adult in the 2020 2021 world and as much as i love this match it's just making me even more happy to talk about it <laughs> It's a match that uh, I think only gets better as you think about it and rewatch it. And, um, you know, I've seen SummerSlam 92 not that that long ago, so I would kind of skim through this show a little bit when I was rewatching it. But this is one, you know, I watched uh, pretty much all of, and um, it was well worth my time to do so. It just it just seems to get better every time you see it. Yeah. There's a lot of crisscrossing earlier going under ducking, and I don't know why, but it, all of it, I loved all of it. I, I don't usually write about that stuff, but I got like two lines of just about how much I like that interaction. Uh, mirror spots can be my enemy sometimes because yeah. uh, I feel like it can be very contrived, but in this match it felt perfect. So, you know, there's a reason these tropes exist when you really nail them. Like, this, this just truly worked right here. I think one of the boldest moves early on is when Rick Martel simply goes out of ring and hugs Sherry. <laughs> yes, what a dynamic uh, psychological move that is. Yeah, and it's like I think Sean's at her feet under, beneath them when it happens. <laughs> God, I love Martel. You know, I could go on just about as much him as as Sherry at this point because like. And just, like, look how good he looks. I don't understand. I'll just say again. I understand how you watch this match. Be like, eh, Martel should really just be, like, on the bottom putting people over. You know, like, God, if I saw this, Rick Martel would have to be, like, a centerpiece of my company for at least the next few years. Absolutely. I I love I love Tito, but, like, it seems like since the gimmick switch, like, I can see him maybe possibly being a lesser version of what he used to be, whereas... I thought it would be the other way around, but I don't think Martel has missed, like, a, a beat. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I think Tito, um, Tito not on this card. He's in a dark match jobbing to Papa Shango, so I think he has moved down um, commensurately to, to Martel. Martel always, like, a little bit above him, I think, and still so. But, man, just, like... I love Tito, but yeah, Martel, like, he's still out here in the spotlight, and he's killing it in a way that Tito uh, no longer has an opportunity to do. Absolutely. That's sad. I, I, I know. Imagine going away. He thought that gimmick was going to main event him. Now he's in a dark match with Papa Shanga. I mean, he was foolish to think so, um, so I can't <laughs> totally sympathize. But yeah, like, he deserves better than that. And man, just like... Not to get off topic, but man, Papa Shango, uh, like, running in on the main event of WrestleMania, and now he can't get on the SummerSlam card. I don't know if he'll be on any, I don't know if he's on Survivor Series, so, like, good, you know? <laughs> like, I think I said last time, maybe that jog to the ring really did cost him, like, all his appearances, and that would be just fine with me, because stupid character, stupid gimmick, all that, I don't, I don't have time for any of it. 
Yeah, imagine you want to talk about transition periods. The main event of WrestleMania 8 sees Papa Shango run out, and he is now in a dark match. Uh, Sid main events, and he's gone. Ultimate Warrior runs down, he'll be leaving with 40 years over. Hulk Hogan main events, he's gone. Harvey Whippleman is here, and Sid is not. That should tell you something. <laughs> Friggin' Harvey Whippleman, man. All right. <laughs> yeah, so there's also a moment. We've already talked about Sherry having, you know, part of her outfit missing. So now we got, like, a a back and forth of, like, tights pooling where both men are exposed two or three <laughs> times. This is where I said I thought all five was going to leave together because the mood, the mood in the room was just rising and rising towards something. Uh, yes, as people start to lose their clothes. And uh, <laughs> I say it's a big favorite of Shawn Michaels to uh, quite literally show ass. So uh, yeah. not the last time we will see that particular uh, moon rising over a match. Not nearly the last time. So I, I got to go back just a second because you reminded me that Harvey Whippleman exists. In what world do you keep Harvey Whippleman until the end of time, it seems, and you don't want to keep Sensational Sherry after this match. Like, I take it all back, Vince McMahon. You can go to hell. Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Harvey Wilkman seems like the friend of somebody. Ugh. And he probably Harvey Wilkman should have come out in the world title match for all the, like, it just had his vibe around it somehow. It wouldn't shock me if he's not being paid either. He's just kind of there for the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. Oh, my God. So we get, like I said, we get slaps but not punches, which again is genius. Mm. And we get, we get maybe the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, which is when, when Sherry faints, and then <laughs> this is where it elevates to the next level, I think. Yeah, this is ridiculous because not only does she faint, which I did not know this was gonna, I don't know that I ever watched this match. So I did not know she was gonna faint, oh, and then she's going to open her eyes to see what's going on, and then close them conveniently again. And as this is like. The rise and rise and rise and rise of this versus the fall and fall and fall of the title match to me just juxtapose those two. Uh, if you want, if you want to think about something, I love it. All this is that you think like you 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 would probably think that she's sincere at least in so far as like you know she really is. Um, when she faints, like you might think she really fainted because they're about to punch each other in the face and she faints at the thought of it and then she opens her eyes. And you know it's like an extra level to the farce comedy, which is brilliant. And, yes. like, she's playing for more attention. And, like, she's trying to escalate this between these two, like, to get them, uh, like, hotter for her or something. Like, I don't know. It's just great. It's so good. She's having the time of her life. Like, two men that she is very attracted to are both fighting over her. And, like, everybody's had a moment in life where – they got attention when they normally don't get attention or all of a sudden, like maybe you've gone through a drought in life and you haven't felt special. You haven't felt like your abilities are being like honored. You haven't had a moment where anyone has praised you. And when it rains, it pours. And then all of a sudden you are the center of attention. Everything's about you. And like to me, it's a baby face move that only a heel could show to be this foolish, but this foolish in just pure happiness and enjoyment of the moment. <laughs> it's so good. I'm going to hit you with something that I know that you're going to like, because I just thought of this, but man, if uh, if you're a fan of Frasier, and you ought to be, because it's a great show, if ever there was an episode where 
both Niles and Frazier got interested in Roz, and uh, they decided to have a wrestling match about it. It would be this, and all of the comedy would escalate in exactly the same way. By God, yes. A million times, yes. And man, Niles would, Niles would pull, it, pull it off. Somehow Niles would be the one that faints, but that's the only difference I think that would happen. <laughs> yes, that is the only difference. Oh my God. But no, you, that's exactly right. And that is, you know, that is the, the uh, what's her name? Um, Roz is a Sherry type. Oh, yes. <laughs> because Sherry came first. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Um, I just I love this. And this is what made me think of it, because, like, the physical comedy in this match is so hilarious. And it's just what you might see in that scenario. Because when Sherry faints, Michaels is trying to, like, pick her up. And then he, he drops her on her face. And, yes. like, there's so much in this match about the face and then he drops her right on her face, and it's just like, I could die. It's so funny. I love it. Yes, and I think Ben said, he's kind of dragging her. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. she went from, like, the center of attention being carried to falling on her face being dragged. Uh, I just said, too, I love the 90s, and this is one of the most 90s things I've seen in a long time. Oh, yes. This is the light side of the early 90s when you get something like this. Like, you have to treasure it. It's so good. <laughs> Martel is like trying to do CPR on Sherry here at one point, and it's just—is he doing CPR? Or is he just like getting in there and uh, maybe? Well, I'll yeah. leave that to your imagination. <laughs> and it's so like because they're all heels, they're putting their reputations on the line, they're putting their egos on the line, and you get the feeling none of them might even like each other. Like, do they even like Sherry, or have they found themselves in a contest that they can't back out of, so they're one up? And like. You don't know where anybody really stands in all of this, and yet they're acting out to this level. Indeed. We said this is like a, a perfect flip side of the world title match, but this is also a perfect flip side of the Hogan-Savage um, Elizabeth storyline. And I'll just say this. I didn't see Hogan doing any CPR on Miss Elizabeth, so mm. did he really care or maybe not? I'll just put that out there. The model seems to really care. I think the model cares a lot. I would care. I'll just say that. <laughs> I think the model might care more than Shawn Michaels. <laughs> you may be right, man. If if Sherry had gone off with Martel, I wouldn't have blamed her, and uh, I would have been happy to see that pairing. That's unfortunately life. The, I think the thing that allows Shawn to keep her is that he cares less, so she still has to. She has a chase to do with him, whereas I think with the model, if they walked out together, it would be the end of the story, and I think... I think Sherry would probably be bored at, at some point with Mr. Rick Martel. Oh, my. Yes, we'll see the fickle heart of Sherry come into play uh, all too soon. I'll just say this has really reinforced to me that Michaels and Sherry um, could have stuck together a lot longer. And I think yes. done a lot of fun things. We need to follow that thread a little more because, mm, yeah, you know, honestly, I think even as we go forward without her, you know, point out places where, you know, it would have been great to have that combo again. I was saying, for as often as she's with Michaels, like, on pay-per-view, uh, <laughs> she won't be solidly in his corner very often. I think, uh, I don't know if she's there against Brett at Survivor Series, maybe there, but here, and then at the Rumble, it'll be with Janetti and uh, Sherry, maybe not the best ally for Shawn Michaels, but at the same time, yes, she is the best ally for Shawn Michaels. I wonder, in some ways, does that mean that she cared a lot about Randy Savage? Because it seems like Ever since that went away, her commit the commitment that she gives is not what it used to be. 
Uh, she's trying to fill that void with uh, money and with uh, younger men and with uh, all these different affairs that she might have. So I can see it. I can see it. It's interesting. She was a lot more committed. They were not. They were the Disney characters at the time. And you can't just you want to talk about a special time in life. Can you imagine if like, oh, kids, that's a year that I became so magical that I wasn't a human being anymore. I just walked around as a Disney character. <laughs> That's a big deal, you know? Oh, my God, yes. No, she could have walked in that Disney parade easily and just, um, man, that's, yeah. We talked about that and how good it was. So sometimes they carry her out in their arms, but one time Shawn Michaels throws her over his shoulders, and she does have the, uh, already mentioned, uh, missing part of her outfit. And Vincent Mann says, in the States, there's a TV show called Twin Peaks. Oh, that's a beautiful reference, and uh, I'll let you imagine what those peaks might be. But, um, oh, yes, they they do both get counted out. They finally start kind of, like, punching each other in the aisle. And then one by one, each guy tries to carry Sherry to the back, except they keep getting knocked down by the other. The other one will pick up Sherry, and just uh, at this point, he talked about her being dragged, and yet she's being, like, dropped and uh, flopped and all this stuff. And uh, uh, it's beautiful. It is the... Um, the delightful flip side of Randy Savage carrying Elizabeth on his shoulder. And uh, this, I guess, is what you get when you're a heel and you try to do that. <laughs> yes, that's a good point because she's on Shawn Michaels' shoulder. But like, it's a whole different uh, <laughs> uh, animal at that point. The perspective and, is a little changed. Yes. This is 80,000 fans, too. So you might imagine it's a long aisle way for them to work their way down. Oh, it is tremendously long. <laughs> oh, my God. So all of this finally ends up. Too, but, Go ahead. They would switch, and I would think it's over. And then, like, the model leaves and comes back with a bucket of water. And every time I thought it was over and it started back, I would just start laughing out loud again. <laughs> Absolutely delightful. He does uh, drench Sherry, I guess, to uh, to revitalize her, which works. But uh, finally, she is done with this, and she is just mad. And uh, I, I don't know if I can blame her, but even so, it's a wonderful match, a wonderful event that I, I enjoyed tremendously. In my lifetime, the only manager I've seen do work on this level is Bobby Heenan. Mm, yeah, yeah, agreed. Whew. And then I just had a question somewhere in my notes. Is this the greatest of all time? Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> a valid question. It is certainly, I think, one of the most fun matches of all time. So if you view wrestling with that lens, and I really think you should, then I think you will love this match. It's sad that there's so many people who come into wrestling. Like, I want to be the next Shawn Michaels or Daniel Bryan or, like, Bret Hart. Like, I, I this is the kind of, where are the people who break into the business and say, I watched a model versus Shawn and that made me want, that's what I'm aspiring to. <laughs> They're out there. They don't get so much attention now because I just said, like, I feel like people should watch wrestling through the lens of, like, let's have fun. And I don't understand because I feel like a lot of fans, um, and maybe this is not true, but it's just my feelings. They come in and like, oh, we don't really care if we have fun. Let's like uh, examine the moves that are done and let's, um, you know, count the number of minutes in the match. And like, Jesus, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm a very uh, exhaustive type of person with my wrestling. You know, I kind of keep careful track of everything. But God, at the end of the day, I'm here to have fun. Jesus, like, yeah. calm down. I, I don't know. <laughs> I definitely can be guilty of that because I think a lot of times fun is so subjective that some people enjoy things and some don't. Sure, sure. But my God, 
if fun could all mean one thing and it felt like that mad job would want nobody to do anything but have fun the rest of their lives. Right, right. Absolutely so. I'll, I'll just say, no, I enjoy that. Like, this is my avenue to... I know some folks don't like this. You may not even like this because I know your taste. But if you look at something like uh, Orange Cassidy and AEW or like the whole uh, question mark uh, Aaron Stevens thing in NWA or just like things that are silly but fun, like they can get over so big. And like there's such value to that, I think, that people sometimes really dismiss. And like if you're in wrestling and you're like, man, it's got to be like really serious business, then okay, like, I kind of get that, but God, I just want to have fun, too, so, I don't know, like, there are many unexplored layers to that, so I don't want to speak too broadly, but I will just say, like, the fun stuff in wrestling is worth so much to me. I will say this, because I don't think, personally, I would like Orange Cassidy, but I will say this for him. Okay. We are in a moment that, in the public, it feels like, culturally you don't get a lot of capital for being a wrestling fan like i have lived through eras where everybody became a fan and eras through where i can't find people who admit that they are fans and the one time i think in the last at least three years of teaching if not more that i had a student bring up students students plural bring up pro wrestling is that a bunch of them were asking me if i knew orange cassidy something yeah and i don't know if some clip went viral but they were trying to show me a clip and you know <laughs> so it was a whole thing and i don't see that and these were people who were not even wrestling fans but they were into orange cassidy <laughs> so I, like i, I can't knock that sure i mean there's something to that i'll just say like to me this match had a flavor of uh of orange cassidy so i don't know maybe you would like it more then you suspect maybe you wouldn't. I know I'm in danger of uh, of incurring some uh, displeasure from Benjamin Button here because I think that's the kind of thing he's really not into. And I get it on a certain extent. But if you want to look at Orange Cassidy and be like, oh, he's not taking it seriously enough, I say, well, please view this match and remember that it's not always serious. So I'm, I'm going to not say more before I get in trouble. But, um, but uh, this match is just tremendously fun, and I hope – that everyone is able to enjoy wrestling like this because there is just something special about it. Yeah, I will agree and disagree because I, in some ways there was nothing serious about that match. But part <laughs> of what made me like it when I usually don't like that stuff mm-hmm. is there's another side where I've never seen three people more serious about something in my life. <laughs> That's a fair point. You know, like I said, there are many, many layers to this, and I think you can't speak too generally about it. So that is a very good point. I love orange. When I get sick, orange has always been like – I like orange in my ice cream when I'm sick. I like the color orange. I like orange uh, smoothies. So maybe that's as far as I'll ever go with Orange Cassidy, but that's something at least. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? But uh, we'll, we'll take it for now. If he was Lemon Cassidy, I wouldn't even, you know. <laughs> lemon he would never get over. No way. <laughs> oh, man. This is a good time, folks. Watch that matchup. And even if you don't like it like we do, pretend like you do. It'll make you think better. <laughs> Yeah, this is one where I don't need to, if you didn't like it, that's fine. Just keep it to yourself. Just say it's not your thing. Move on with your life. Like, yeah. I don't need to hear the negativity in this case. This is the kind of way I liked it, and then we'll try the, the Nasty Boys are waiting for us on the other side, by the way. But oh uh, what I, if this was like old days where the doctor visits, visits your house, you know, and there's no actual, like, 
medicine to help you. I really think that if I was sick, he would come to my house and be like, I need you to watch SummerSlam 1992, the model versus Shawn Michaels, and then call me on the other side, and then I would be better, and I wouldn't even know why. So I think it, it would is, do you good. It would improve your health. Yeah. I laugh. I, I don't laugh at a lot of pro wrestling, even when – maybe sometimes especially when it thinks it's funny. And <laughs> I just laughed in a way that was not just like humor. It was – relief and just you know, I was just so impressed I don't know who put the match together Bruce Pritchard is not around at this time if that helps so it's just good times well, that's shocking I thought he was no I think this is one they still haven't done because they don't often do shows that he wasn't around for all right okay he comes back shortly thereafter but you know okay Sean Mooney with the nasty boys and Jimmy Hart um, I did not note this because there was nothing to note, in my opinion. But if you have something to say, then go ahead. They're mocking Sherry for a mascara running and having a dog's face. Yeah, what What on earth? <laughs> like, aren't they heels? Like, they can't they even, like, heels. respect another heel. So, like, jeez, go to hell, nasty boys. Sags is the one with dark hair. Yes. Sags, I said, looks like a, an underling heel in uh, Doug's gang on the TV show, in our in Roger's gang on the TV show, Doug. Oh, wow. Yeah, they are hardcore out of that Nickelodeon. I don't know if they get <laughs> off saying anybody doesn't look good, because, like, they're, they're two yeah. of the ugliest guys I think you would ever see. So take that for what you will. Yeah, and be loyal. Like, heels need, heels need support, and they don't, they don't need that. Yeah, how – what <laughs> – Heels are always, like, standing up for each other. So now we have this, and just like, yeah, what? Ugh. Launch all three of these guys into the sun, or into WCW at least, where I don't have to bother with them anymore. Yeah. And then, I don't know why I just got super pissed off at the idea that Jimmy Hart, so Money Incorporated shares the same manager as the Nasty Boys. Yeah, wh- it's barely worth commenting on, but yeah, if you're trying to get like tag team champions, how do you have two teams like that? Just like, it doesn't matter. Who cares? So now we're going to go to the tag title match of the night. It is the defending champions, the natural disasters going against the Beverly brothers with their manager, the, the genius. Yes. Yes, indeed. And I'll just say, uh, it's not an amazing match. I actually liked it uh, more than I expected to. Yes. Um, so that there's something like I'll I'll rep again for the Beverly Brothers. I think they are one of the most underrated tag teams. Uh, really, probably at all of WWF. Like they do a damn good job. I think. Two things happened in this match that surprised me. Um, it starts off about like how I expect, and I can't hardly look at it, and it just picks up and picks up and picks up later, and yeah. it's all Beverly Brothers when it does, and the natural disasters. The ovation that they get at one point, to me, might be bigger than the British Bulldog. <laughs> I have no idea why, but yeah, they were very over. Crowd was extra hot. Maybe, uh, like me, they were just in a good mood from the last match. I yes. don't know what to tell you, but uh, this this is this is much better than I think you would expect. Yeah, especially since I was... I'm hardcore hating this division just on personalities. We just saw the Nasty Boys... The Natural Disasters are somehow the babyface tag champions in a world where LOD exists. You know, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. But like I said, there's somewhere in this match where it starts taking off for me, and Beverly Brothers really, I think, pull out a lot more than what would otherwise be there. Yeah, I am all in on the Beverly Brothers. Like this team is just very fun, and they get no conversation because like they're just in this weird little pocket of time. But uh, 
they do a great job. Like I think I mentioned before, they're going to wrestle the Steiners up at the Royal Rumble, and uh, I, I, that's a fantastic match, I think. So, like, we're going to see some good stuff from them before all is said and done. Yeah. This is also where I noted that Vince McMahon, everybody talks about oh, Vince McMahon loves bodybuilder types, which is true, but what Vince McMahon loves is any body type, I think, that is um, abnormal to most body types. <laughs> like, it can be bodybuilder, it can be natural disasters, it can be nasty boys. Like, he just wants everything to be freakish. And I think, to me, I think some people would think that's what launched him because of kind of sports entertainment thing. But it's also, this is what turns me off. The more the company gets into a very simplistic, like, oh, everything's larger than life, and that's the only context that goes with it. That's the, and that, the tag division to me is starting to feel like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's sometimes I feel like he despises these earthquake, typhoon-type bodies, but sometimes he, he does seem to love them. So, yeah. you know, I, just the whims of Vince McMahon, I guess. Yep. I say the natural disasters are the first team I've ever, the first babyface team I've ever seen to do those high-impact clotheslines that baby faces do but yet they're just standing still and like the heels are the ones actually running and doing all the like <laughs> generating all the energy uh especially in this match yeah the beverly's full of energy and i'll just say again they work overtime to make this work to make this as good as possible so i i gotta just heap credit on them yes bobby Heen says vince mcmahon shut up i've got a message Shawn michaels has left wembley stadium <laughs> I love that gimmick. Yes. Okay, so I've turned the page somewhere here. The match just takes off. But talk talk about because you've been. I think you've been wanting to have a Beverly Brothers moment, and I think this is definitely one of them. Yeah, I don't even know what moment to have exactly. I don't have like a particular moment right. in mind. It's just like they're strong enough to actually do damage to the natural disasters. They're fast enough that they can like run into them, like you said, and kind of make that look good. They can just kind of like wrestle around these two and just make it fun. So like, I don't know if there's more of a moment I can have, but yeah, no, like they do very, very well here. Yeah. There's a moment where one of them jumps off the top rope and it's not a missile drop kick. It's like he's still standing up over the people he's launching on. Then he just has to come down and put his foot on the mark. <laughs> yes. No, very good. Like these are big guys. be doing this stuff and just in another time and place, or with a more sustained push or something. I don't know. I just think there's a lot more that could be said about this team, and they'll never really get that break that I think they need. But they will have some really good performances, so I'm glad about that. Yeah. Um, Earthquake keeps costing Typhoon. Uh, so Typhoon takes the beating. At one point, Vincent Mann says, all Typhoon has to do is sit up and tag his partner. Bobby Heen says, you're asking a lot. <laughs> You were pulling some great lines out of the show. Like, oh, Bobby Heenan. I love him. He's so good around this time. It's incredible. You can't beat Bobby Heenan. Folks, remember, this is the summer of 92, and he is leaving us in 93. Unbelievable that they replaced this guy with Jerry Lawler. I'll just say that. A poor mm. man's Bobby Heenan uh, to his core on commentary, and then later he'll become Gene Okerlund as well. Um <laughs> Uh, There's a nice belly-to-belly suplex by Earthquake. I don't know if you saw that one or not. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, they're not completely useless. Like, the natural disasters, I would certainly take them over, like, the Nasty Boys or something. So, like, that's a low bar. But, like, they do a few things. They're not the worst ever. 
Yeah, there's a moment where one of uh, the Beverly brothers is thrown out of the ring and there's a double team by the natural disasters. And he says, this isn't fair. It's eight on one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's about right. Man, the Beverly Brothers are quite heroic here to fight against these like monstrous people. I'll just say that. Um and speaking of them getting launched, like, at the end of this, uh, Earthquake, like, bounces off the ropes, and one of the brothers, like, on the apron, and he just fires off, like, a missile. Like, he probably landed mm-hmm. in the back row of Wembley Stadium. And then, uh, of course, Earthquake just sits on the other guy to win, as he always does. Absolutely. And, folks, listen to the ovation at the end. Like, I, I am not here for the natural disasters, but if you are, you got yourself a nice little argument for them at the end of this match. <laughs> Certainly these fans were, and uh, I gotta think this is the best match we're gonna see out of the natural disasters by a good stretch, so maybe the fans were just appreciative that the match wasn't um, bad. I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. So before this match, we had an interview with the Nasty Boys who are not on the show. Now we got Gene Oakland with the Bushwhackers. I, I did not even deign to watch this, like... I'll tell you what happened. I didn't even watch it. I bet they swung their arms around and they talked about sardines and maybe they licked somebody. And yeah, if there was more than that, I'll be amazed. It continued our favorite kind of storytelling because Gene Arclan was asking them who's, whose corner is Mr. Perfect in. And so like it's become such a big thing that even all the wrestlers are discussing it. It's like the NWO taking over in WCW kind of. Oh my God. <laughs> You are so right. Like, they put so much effort into this. This is not half-assed, and yet it's just, like, poisoned at its core. So, like, none of this can work. It's just silly. I think, honestly, out of all of this, the build-up, the match, after the match, we are now going to the only quality thing that came from the storyline, which is Lord Alfred Hayes outside the Ultimate Warriors locker room. (laughs) This is my favorite. He's at the Warriors' door, and he tells us that he will breach his own personal code of ethics by not knocking on the door he's just going to open the door and see who is in there he tries to do so but i guess somebody was ready for him because they they like shut the door before it can really open more than like a few inches so lord alfred hayes is uh, very offended by this rudeness even though he himself said he was breaking his ethics so um it's the best like it's easily the best thing about this storyline yeah, not many of my notes get a heart by it, but when he calls it an act of rudeness after setting it up by breaching his ethics, you can't beat that if you want to. No, absolutely not. That is the Rick Martell versus Shawn Michaels uh, interview of the night. <laughs> a very much high point and a very low storyline. I'm now starting to see how like back and forth this is as we go through it, because now we have gone from Bushwhackers to Lord Alfred Hayes, and now we are going back to the ring to see Crush take on the repo man up and down for sure um crush i I mentioned this before in passing but i i I don't have any strong feelings against crush i think he's fine at times um but man this baby face crush gimmick where he had the black and white vignettes of like when i was a kid i crushed my toys And, like, this is the craziest thing to me, because his gimmick, like, when he beats a jobber, is, like, after the match, he will befriend the jobber. Like, he will, like, pick them up and, like, help them. And I don't know what, like, I can barely wrap my mind around, like, all the many stupid things. that He's dressed like, like, the early 90s, like, barfed out a person. Like, he's all bright colors, like, mismatched together. And 
it's just weird. Like, just something about this is so weird. It's one of those things that if your dream is to make it to the WWF and knowing how few people do, and then you put on your outfit and look in the mirror, and the first thing you probably do is hate yourself. <laughs> oh, jeez. The outfit is atrocious. The shorts are ridiculous. The color, like, I am, again, I, I just pronounced my love for orange, and I love orange, but not not, not this, though, sir. Not More of this. a salmon, which is much yeah. worse, if you know that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then you go... I said, you know, kind of the thing WWF needed was one more rope-shaking, feel-no-pain superstar, so. (laughs) (laughs) If they were going to recast the Ultimate Warrior anyway, as you've joked about, why not him? Like, might as well have, so we don't need to. I have a question for you. Sure. Crush or Tatanka? Crush. Oh, wow. That was quick. <laughs> to me, I'm just not. Say, I could think of parts of Crush's career that I liked much faster than I could think of stuff I like from Tatanka. I'm just not into Tatanka. It's kind of the same gimmick, though. It's a baby face who <laughs> ultimately is going to come back. And I'll say I don't this, know. this is probably the worst Crush. So if you force me to choose between Tatanka, the best Tatanka, and this Crush, then I would have a much harder time. Fair. This is bad. And he's kind of chubby, so it's like he's a power wrestler, but, you know, he doesn't really move. And, right. I, again, like, I have my uh, specifics that I enjoy. But if you're a babyface, it looks like this to me from the school of Lex Luger. Luger is 265 when he wrestles like this most of the time, and you need to get around. Right, right, for sure. I say, yeah, like, there are so many crushes, it's hard to say, like, but this is the worst one, I think. Like, I would prefer Demolition Crush, certainly Mr. Fuji Crush I would take over this guy. Uh, Chronic, you know, Brian Adams was actually kind of fun. Like, this is the worst crush, because the gimmick's bad, the look is bad, just, like, the purpose of this guy is bad, and he's just, like, a weird, ugly dope in the babyface side, so it's not good. Orange, I, I enjoy Orange Crush. Have you ever hit Orange Crush? I, I believe I have, a long time ago. Yeah. Prefer Sunkiss, but, you know, I think <laughs> when I first saw him, I wanted to like him because I liked Orange Crush. We're talking about a lot of oranges on this show, so any kind I of orange. I love orange. <laughs> I've never shared it before, but now it's been – because I, I got sick when I was um, traveling, when I was, when I was in Illinois, and – you know, because I, I'm not a healthy person, I don't do the right thing. What should you have? Maybe a soup or like, or start eating well. I was like, oh my god, when I was a child and I got sick, I liked that orange ice cream. <laughs> and, and I had orange ice cream for the first time in forever, and I was like, by God, it, it still works. There you go. There you go. That's great. I, was, I'll, I always go for the red flavors, but orange is Ooh. always my second, so I'm I'm almost there with you. Nice. So this one, folks, you kind of know it. And, Here's, here's another reason I hate this match, because Repo Man usually, like, sneaks around and has a little motion, and Crush doesn't let him do that, so, like, the only one who has any energy is the heel, and that is just, that's against my my principles. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good match. Uh, it's not the worst. I wouldn't say I hate it. Like, I probably like it more than the next match we're going to talk about, yeah. so that that's something. Um, I'll say Crush is at least ahead of Nails in terms of, like, dumb new characters who are here to squash somebody, so that's something. Agreed. God, that's bad that we just put it over two things on the show. <laughs> it really is about... There's some real low points to this show. This, like, 
you could be fooled into thinking this was a great show if you thought about it in a certain way, but you could also be fooled into thinking this is like the worst show you ever saw. So you, you could see it from a couple of perspectives. I will say again, for me personally, I'm open to hearing other opinions. I always am, but even more so because I've never had a show, especially the next match, where I turn my head, whether it's texting or thinking. I just turned away so many times, and I'm not convinced that this is 26 minutes or whatever you said it was, 20 whatever minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's the lo- it's longer than uh, Brett and Bulldog. So, like, who? what were they thinking when they thought that? Like, this is just a failure of planning from every perspective. Why would you ever ask the Ultimate Warrior, especially this Ultimate Warrior, to go nearly half an hour in a match? This is a guy who can't run down to the ring without, like, getting out of breath half the time. So Mm. it's just a failure of planning. Like, I I don't know. Like, Pat Patterson, like, took a step back. Jake Roberts was supposed to be in creative, but he's gone. Vince McMahon is, like, half thinking about this steroid trial. It's going to put him in jail. So who the hell is responsible for this? I don't know, but, like, somebody uh, ought to be held accountable, I think, for everything that happened here. You're like, warrior, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> the worst person you could ever say that to. So, oh, my God. And who leads the match and calls the match? Because we have been told in time that most of the time the heel is the one who calls the match. But, by God, if we're going to learn something, there's not a heel bone in either of these bodies. They are the most upstanding citizens you're ever going to meet. God, I wonder if Randy Savage did his thing where he like wrote out, uh, you know, 117 yeah. points for this match. I can't imagine like he it. bothered with Warrior, but I don't know something. In my mind, he wrote out 117 steps, and there's someone sitting on a stool in the corner just calling out one at a time, <laughs> trying to explain to Warrior as we go through. Oh my God, yeah. It's I thought wild. the match like, was anywhere. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, it's wild that these guys like blew expectations away and had this like yes. classic at WrestleMania. And now they could turn around like not that much later and just kind of stink up the place with this. Like not everyone thinks so. I want to say flat out. I think you'll meet a lot of people who would say that this match was pretty good. Like it's probably one of warriors better matches. And I can see that in theory, but just watching it, like I lose sight of that idea completely because I am not into this match. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I don't feel like I have a right to even talk on it because even after sitting through it, like I, I, it's not parsed out. Like it went right back to being a like a glob of something that's not separated. <laughs> there were like four or five times I honestly thought the match was ending, and I would daydream for like ten minutes, and I would look back at the screen, and they would be like starting a whole new sequence of things. Mm, yeah. Okay, so my first note is that I don't think I hate anything in the business more. Then when the ultimate warrior is in the ring and his opponent's coming out and all the energy and the cheering is for it and the music is for his opponent. And then he starts like soaking it up like it's his. <laughs> well, he doesn't know any better. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Is this where this is, he doesn't wear his nude outfit for this, but does he wear his like skinned body outfit? He wears yes. something disturbing. Yes. Yeah, he wears a suit like his skin was ripped off, and it just it looks awful, I think, so bad. Uh, My first note in this, after the fact, obviously, Mr. Perfect doesn't come out with either man, so just forget about that. Uh, my first note is, Warrior seems tired right away, and they're going to go 26 minutes, Jesus. Yeah, 
I think there's a warrior chance early. That's the crowd is hot. Like you can't say they aren't. So like name power counts for a lot, I guess. And maybe these fans were getting something that I wasn't getting, but like the crowd is hot. Even though I feel like the match does not have like energy to to really sustain it at all. It felt like the match started at the halfway point. <laughs> they just kind of go into it, and you're already there, and it's just there's no shape. Like it takes way too long for Perfect to come out, and then when they're at ringside, they're there for way too long. Oh my God, like I thought they were gonna buy an apartment there and just live <laughs> there, like. <laughs> They, they take just come you out every and they scenario. hang around forever, and it never seems like they have. And this is true all the way to the end. It never seems like they actually have a goal in this. Like, there's no plan. There's no payoff to any of this. Yeah, I, I will mention that in, for me in the promo after, because I thought nothing could make any of this worse until we get their explanation at, on the other side of this. <laughs> Jeez. Um, somewhere I wrote the warrior definitely does better with Savage, so there must have been something. You know, that's a low bar, but I at least wrote that down somewhere. I, I want to be clear, I don't hate the match. Like, it's not the worst I've seen, but just... I don't know, like, I don't hate it, but I would never watch it again. It's like the exact opposite of the inner, of the uh, Michaels-Martel match. It's just so long, the energy is not there, the story makes no sense... Like, it's still Savage. I don't think you take that much away from Savage. Like, I kind of, I said his star is not shining brightly, and I think that's true. But it's Randy Savage. Like, he's still doing good things in there. So, there's something, but it's just not enough. Like, it's just not good. Uh, He's also made to look really bad. Like, Savage spends a lot of time curled up at the feet of the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. And I'll tell you something I heard last night, because... Many people will speculate next year, like, could anything worse have happened at WrestleMania 9 than Hulk Hogan coming down and defeating Yokozuna? <laughs> well, I heard yesterday in uh, Something to Wrestle, uh, it seems like the the big plan was to go big with Warrior for, some, for Royal Rumble and WrestleMania if he had not left the company. What a horror show. That's what I understand, cause they're already getting worried about steroids. As you've mentioned many times, Hogan will come back looking like a skeleton. Yes. But then they're going to push the ultimate warrior? Yeah. Like, you should get a separate congressional investigation just for that. Like, just for that being in your mind. So, that's that's something special right there. Okay, watch a stupid product, ask a stupid question. Do you think that they thought... That if they put naked body suits on, because Warrior's gonna have one, then Giant Gonzalez, so people will be like, "That's not steroids. That's an outfit he's wearing." <laughs> <laughs> it makes as much sense as anything else in the storyline. So, yeah. Oh dear, I do think that there is a possibility that if the Ultimate Warrior had stayed, there would have been damage done for the, to the WWF that might have been. I think it's the worst thing, one of the worst things that could have happened to the company. I'll put it that way. I agree completely. Can you imagine what he would have done with Yokozuna? Like, he would have have hurt him. Probably would have tried to press slam him and just broke both their necks, and just that would have been it. So, I don't know where they would go. I don't know how it would work. I I don't know if Yoko doesn't win the Royal Rumble, and Warrior Warrior apparently is on the Royal Rumble poster originally. Oh, jeez. So, I don't know if Warrior wins the Rumble. Oh, and how do you want to do it? Is it going to be Warrior and Brett? Because that right there is the end of your new generation before it gets started. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, 
Although Brett, I think Brett claims he was supposed to beat the Ultimate Warrior with the Sharpshooter at some point. I he, don't believe that. I for don't. A second. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's the 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 piece of bone that Goldberg put in your brain, like creating a false yeah. memory or something. So, jeez. But that to me. I really, and this is why I started the show with that warrior comment. Number one, because when I was reading about a warrior, it just shocked me that with Savage on the card with warrior, that is Bret Hart is the is the definition of that warrior that I talked about because there's no gimmick for Bret Hart. There's no like Hulkamaniacs are not doing it. There's no voodoo. There's no either way. It is it is get in the ring and prove who is the best. And you know, Bret Hart can only transition to WWF. Hogan's already gone. So it is the ultimate warrior that has to fade away for Red Hart now to rise. And I think the best thing that can happen is them firing him because they had to uh, because of the uh, steroid thing. I can think of one thing better if they never rehired him in the yes. first place. But, uh, uh, yeah, thank God he was gone when he did because Survivor Series will benefit from it. Everything after will benefit from it. How do you watch this and think, my God, we're going to go with him at Rumble or WrestleMania? I don't know. Like he's popular with the fans, but not more so yes. than the natural disasters. <laughs> so, That's true. But he can't sustain the company. This is like I said. The, the first time I ever thought, man, the greatest case for Luger not being WWF champions, I can't see him being someone who wants to shake fans' hands twenty four seven. And you know, because WWF in some ways is like a small business. Like before they go public, like everything is Vince's money. Everything is Vince's time. And Ultimate Warrior's not going to do that stuff either. So you, you know. He's already. You can't put him over Hulk Hogan, like. And if it doesn't happen that time, it's it's never happening. Right. So we are in the world of never happening, and they're still trying to make it happen. It's very strange. Uh, I don't know. I can't make an argument for it. Certainly, I'm sure some could. Right now on LOPForums.com in our WCW thread, I'm I'm lambasting this. Uh, Sid pushed in 1999 that was so strong that he's mm-hmm. coming out like 10 times a show and like not making a dent in ratings or anything. I have Primetime and Benjamin Button, a few people trying to talk me off the ledge of this like Sid stuff because we know how I am with Sid and I get it. I have my biases, but still, like, I just look at certain people like Sid and Warrior and they get pushes and they get pushes and they get pushes. It never works out. And you know why it doesn't work out? It's because they're not good. But still, <laughs> some people will like, oh, well, here's the logic of it. And I'm like, I guess, but it like, just look at what happened. Like, the proof is there. I think that I am right, that none of this ever worked and none of this ever could have worked. So, I don't know. I'm just going to say that and I'll leave it be. Yeah. Uh, if I had to pick, to me, Sid is far as superior, and I hate that you made me say that, but... <laughs> I agree. I agree. I could tell you things that Sid does well before I could think of anything Warrior does well. So, but they both are similar in that they can just keep coming back as many times as they want and go straight into another like title push. And it's not just that if you think they're a bad wrestler or not, it's they're also not reliable, and you know they're not reliable. But nothing is going to stop either man from getting a main event push every time that they're in a company. Yeah, it's baffling. They're not reliable. They don't understand, like, storylines. They can't, like, tell you a story unless you're holding their hand all the way through. And yet, yeah, time and time again, we'll see those big pushes. So we'll see Warrior again, unbelievably. We'll see Sid again. Like, they'll they'll have all this stuff to do. And, like, 
faith will be placed in them, and you, you, we'll just see what happens every time. Yeah. I will plant one seed for SummerSlam 93. It made me a little sick to watch Earl Hebner call the world title match in 92, SummerSlam 92, because while everybody's out there talking about the screw job of 97, give me a break, um, the greatest <laughs> screw job in wrestling history is coming a year later and when Earl Hebner calls that main event at SummerSlam 93. <laughs> and uh, a certain similarity here, although uh, different in execution. This one yeah. also will end in a countout. And uh, in my opinion, it's a very lame countout. And this was just a very lame weight and a lame title match with a lame storyline. And they say what when if you introduce a gun, it has to go off in the um, towards the end. Well, yep. we get the Mister Perfect tripping somebody, and you know, so the payoff delivered. I, I suppose yes. Chekhov's trip happens. So. <laughs> oh, what utter garbage! So. Uh, Ultimate Warrior is going to win the match by disqualification. Or count the fans don't really boo either of them, even when they like, they both turn heel like seven times into the announcers. Like, oh my god, uh, they helped Savage, so they're with Savage, and they helped the Warrior. They were with the Warrior, and the whole thing they they cost Savage to to cost Warrior, and the fans just keep cheering them both the whole time. <laughs> yep, yep. There's no sense of a heel turn, no danger of a heel no. turn, like no tension or anything. So. Um, you get the count out. It's it's stupid. Uh, after the match, Ric Flair will put the figure four on Randy Savage, and the Ultimate Warrior will run them off. Oh, what a great partner Ultimate Warrior is for Randy Savage, except he won't make it to to the next match in the feud. So, uh, he's he's Ooh, not fired so dramatically this time, but he's fired just the same. Or no, he just leaves. I don't know. Who cares? Savage replaces Warrior with Perfect. So was Perfect with Savage the whole time. Normally that would intrigue me, but uh, I don't know or care. If he yeah. was, it's just stupid. So, so you said it right. No danger or attention, and that's what makes me so mad about this because we're pulling out the greatest tricks in wrestling history for something that has no danger or potential of tension in it. Right, right. And then and like all you my said, life, go ahead. All my life, I thought that they were deliberately trying to fool both of them to sow discord. And while that right there didn't do it for me. I think they admit that their goal was to to buy one of them off, and neither of them wanted it. So then that was plan A, and then they had to switch to plan B. Yeah, I believe that's the gist of the promo they do back here with Flair and Perfect, but it's not told very well, and it just it it just seems to make as little sense as any of this. Yeah, and it's not like it's not a good look for them. I don't know why you would even say it out loud. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like the whole storyline is just to prove that two people who everybody already thinks would never sell out wouldn't sell out. Yeah. I don't know. Flair says the shot should have been his, and I sure wish it was, because you've had a Flair Savage rematch on this card. Like, yeah. that's so much better than what we got. Obviously the shot should have been his. He's going to win the belt bag. Why not give him this? You know, and he said it in the first promo, like the big lights and all that. Like this is a Ric Flair moment and a Ric Flair card, but they can't give him that. And they, instead, we have that ridiculous match that we just talked about, and with a ridiculous premise and a ridiculous payoff. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it, it's ridiculous because this SummerSlam, August twenty nine. What day do you think Ric Flair wins that title? 
Oh, God, don't tell me. September 1st, three no. days later. So what's the point of any of this? It's ridiculous. That's so disrespectful. I don't understand why. Like, why, why, why would you do that? Like, Flair and Savage had a classic at WrestleMania 8, and they deserved a follow-up. Yeah. That also means not only did Ultimate uh, Savage just lay at the feet of the Ultimate Warrior all night, but this is two days or so away from Savage and Flair being so bad, bad in the ring that Vincent Man has to call them back and chew them out and send them back to start over again. <laughs> Which I don't even believe is justified. It's impossible for me to really buy that that was necessary, but... Um... They just wouldn't do what he said. Like he wanted Flair working on the leg from the beginning of the match, and then instead they wrestled a little bit before Flair went to the leg. And then when, when they went back, they still did it their own way, and apparently they just edited out like five minutes of it when they showed it. Well, I think we're going to do Road to Survivor Series, and we're going to have to cover that, so we will see what was presented. Uh, but it, This is a wild time, because when we get to Survivor Series, who's going to be the champion? Bret Hart already, so yeah. like... Like, things are moving in a very weird way here. Yeah, Savage is champion. There's going to be two title changes, neither on television. Yeah, it, it ridiculous. So, you know. Is the first one on television? Is that a televised match? Uh, Like, it's taped for TV. They'll show okay. it, or part of it, at least. But it's not, yeah. like, a proper event. They just, like, show it on primetime, I think. So, yeah, very strange. I think Vince McMahon's already done what he needs to do with Flair. He's not trying to give him any more big wins. Stupid, spiteful, pointless. So yeah. Oh my God! Just that's the last thing I'll say. But watch the watch WrestleMania's title match, and then watch SummerSlam, and tell me who should be wrestling at SummerSlam. Or don't watch SummerSlam. Yeah. Like, I think you mentioned you would watch this match again, and I would just urge you to use your time on something better. <laughs> yeah. So next we go to Kamala and the Undertaker. Uh, this is not much of a match, but it does. Further, I think the 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 energy of the Undertaker because he comes out with a full hearse, and so we're kind of growing the lore of the Undertaker here. Yeah. Plus, you get it's just a fun interaction, like the Kamala stuff. Obviously, I think you have to say up front it couldn't fly today, but just look at like the energy that this guy puts into the gimmick, and like how fun he tries to make it, and just like how expressive he is with all of it i think you have to praise the performer behind the gimmick yeah. and just like he makes it fun the match is like very short but it is fun um i i enjoyed this for what it was yeah i wrote down at the end that kamala's scared face at the end is like the best piece <laughs> of this match what a great performer yeah no it's great um it's very short uh, Undertaker hits a choke slam for what maybe is the first mm. time, first time I remember. Um, and then uh, there's a DQ, and Kamala will like splash Undertaker a bunch of times, but then Taker will sit up, and yes, Kamala will flee with that scared face that he makes great. And uh, what what a performer! Like just just I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, and like I said too, it continues the lore of the Undertaker. It continues this feud as we'll see it kind of play out. I think at Survivor Series '92. Yes, yes, we'll see. Uh, maybe the first casket match that Undertaker will be in. I don't think, like, he'll move from the body bag to the coffin, which I think is for the better, except if you ask Shawn Michaels' lower back. So we'll, yeah. we'll think about that later. 
Yeah, he, he, I don't think he could do what he did in his career if he only used body bags. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. Like, they just, um, they don't have the same uh, vibe, same energy. So, you know, it's a good thing. We go to Sean Mooney because we are now prepping the main event. And, folks, the main event is an IC title match, which in itself is historical. Sean Mooney's with the British Bulldog. Uh, they're talking about the tension in the family. Bulldog says, I didn't make this match. Jack Tunney did. But when I step into the ring with you, I've never met you. I don't even know you. Yeah, that was a good line. I was thinking Bulldog maybe was giving credence to Bret Hart's idea in this because he looked a little glazed over at times. But that was a good line. Um, the build-up to this, I couldn't find the clips I was hoping to, but they will talk to, like, Bruce Hart and, like, uh, they'll talk to Owen Hart and Coco Beware. And I remember in my notes it said Coco, I think, was more upset than Owen about this uh so that'll tell you something but they really went all in on this oh the Hart family's being torn apart and you might recognize that as something which will come into play a lot over the next few years absolutely uh it's weird because Bret Hart's very angry I think even the concept of the match and so I think a little bit forgetting the fact that uh he challenged Piper even though they were like family a few months ago (laughs) I mean yeah Bret will talk to Okerlund here and I'll say uh, you, you you can say that and I understand it, but I will say Brett I think did what was needed here. He will play up being a heel just a little bit, and yeah. he will actually do a a great job of it. He will show me that like little glimpse of 1997, and uh, yeah, I mean it's something he does well. And I almost wonder if it's something he should have done more of. So I won't second guess Bret Hart's career. But as promos go, I thought he blew uh, Bulldog out of the water here. Oh, but it, Bulldog is not even like Bulldog is not in the league next to the league that Bret Hart is in. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Go ahead and make that clear. And so, yeah, but Bret Hart is starting to clamp down. Like you can tell that in Bret Hart's mind, he's about to put on the greatest match of all time, and he's about to be launched. And like this is this is his moment. And whether that's going to come true or not, it actually does. But whether it is or not, like he comes into the promo and the match planning for this to be his launching pad. Mm. We've said many times, I think, about how the confidence of Hulk Hogan was one of his biggest assets. Like he walked in every situation like he couldn't lose, basically, like in his mind. Uh, and sometimes that would backfire on him. But I think for the most part, it helped him tremendously. And now I'm wondering, is that the thing that Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan had in common? Because I don't think they have a lot in common. But God, Bret Hart, like you said, like he'll talk about himself. He'll praise himself. Like, what a confident man. And it's a different vibe. And yet I think there is a very big similarity there now that I think of it. And again, it is that it is that ultimate warrior aspect that what Bret Hart believes is that if you if you only go by bell to bell and you make your judgment that he is better than anybody in the world of wrestling. And so he has got a main event. Like I said, this was not supposed to be the main event, but he told Vince McMahon, nobody will top us if we go on last. So right after he told Vince McMahon that, they wrestled a dark match, uh, and it was a horrible match. Uh, Bret Hart called it an abortion. And when he went, when he went to the back, Vince is like, I hope it's going to be better than that. Uh <laughs> And then so Bret Hart says that over the summer, like he, he would be in the tanning bed and he laid down and closed his eyes. And the exact match that we see on the show that we're about to talk about came before his eyes. So like every single sequence that you see just played out every time he would close his eyes, that same sequence. But for the entire summer, he tried to reach out to Davey to tell him about it. 
He couldn't get Davey the entire summer. Apparently, Davey was coked out and up for 48 hours, and they put him on the plane. He barely made the plane. Um, so Brett was trying to find him at SummerSlam, like the day before SummerSlam, to tell him what they were going to do in the match because he couldn't tell him all summer. Um, and all of that's fair. And but this, these, these are the Bret Hart things that, like, I just want to praise Bret Hart today. But so when he found, this is from Bret Hart, when he found the British Bulldog in the back, British Bulldog first was like, I'm going to stink. Like, I'm, I can't do this. I'm not ready to do this. But then when Bret Hart told him the match, he knew I was like Beethoven. I brought him the sheet of music. <laughs> the red quote. Oh, man. All up to that point, I, I was like loaded and ready to be like, oh, well, that's not so bad. And then yes. then you hit me with that quote. I was like, okay, Brett, you went a little too far there. Buddy, Beethoven, calm down. Like, Jesus, like you're good, but you're not. Um, okay, all right. That's a little much. I, I see where so, you're coming from. We're about to praise him like he's a Beethoven, but he doesn't need to be one to say it. It's the problem. And that's why he never think, seems yeah. to understand. <laughs> you, um, you don't have to go that far. Gee, if he just said all the rest of that and not the. Uh, okay, yes. all right. Yep. And then he explained it to the Bulldog, and all of a sudden the Bulldog's eyes lit up. And then apparently when they go out to the ring after the very first move, Bulldog goes blank and he's, he says that he's fucked and he's forgotten the whole match. So Brett said, this is another little Brett Hart thing. So Brett has to call the entire match because Bulldog forgot the whole thing. And then Brett Hart says he hates wrestlers calling matches. Like if he sees you talking in a match, the match is an automatic failure. But he makes an exception for this one, which is, might be the greatest match of all time. Well, very nice of him to make an exception for himself, I guess. Yeah. And uh, very nice for him to also praise this is the greatest match of all time. This match is weird to me. Like, I'm going to hold off on this. I'm going to talk more about the match kind of when we get there. Um, but, yeah, that's um, that's a whole bunch of something. So, I don't know. But I do want to go back uh, to Bret Hart's promo a minute yes. and just praise it again because – I don't know about Beethoven or greatest match ever or anything, but man, when he says, I dare you to say that you don't know me, man, I got a little chill. What a great line that was. I introduced you to my sister. I, I helped you in your whole career. Talk about gratitude. Man, he nails it. I kind of had, even now, this idea in my mind that Bret Hart, always oh, very good wrestler. He'll do good things, but like kind of boring on the promos and all this stuff. And, that may be true sometimes, but, like, you're already in 92. Like, he's put it together. Like, he cuts a great, great promo here, I think. Yeah, and I agree. Like, the, what you felt there, I felt at the end, because we are in yeah. Wembley Stadium with, like you said, legit, like, 80,000 fans. And in a way, they're here for the Bulldog and nothing else above all things. Mm -hmm. And Bret Hart ends it by saying he's going to think that he woke up in the dungeon. <laughs> Such a good line. Just good lines all over the place here. Bret Hart... He was really ready for this. He's come far from the guy who, like, wouldn't talk when Jim Neidhart was talking because, like, he thought Neidhart was better. Um, he has surpassed mm. Neidhart by even more leagues, maybe, than the Bulldogs. So. Yeah, I think greatest match ever shouldn't even be the conversation. It should be, is it one of the most historical matches of all time? Because not only is the IC title going on last, but two guys who are going to be there to wrestle are going on last. British Bulldogs going to win the title kind of in his home and Bret Hart is going to, this is, this is the moment that if you're Vince McMahon, you probably decide whether he's ever going to main event your shows again or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, huge pressure on this match for sure. Especially if 
That, that's shocking. I didn't know that. If they had like a real stinker before this, like how yeah. easy would that be to just get in your head? And yet Bret Hart certainly seems unflappable through all this. I got to show respect for that. That's the weird thing, too, is he's almost the opposite of the Bulldog because the Bulldog is going to be unhappy when he loses his belt because he thinks he ought to be like this great big star. But at the same time, he's got his own demons and he's not going to put in the work to be it. And if it, again, every time I'll come back to this, if you give Bret Hart credit for one thing, he takes this stuff as seriously as it can be taken. So not only does he know this is his coming out party and his do or die, but he's got to carry someone who the match is somewhat for. Like on, on the surface is for the Bulldog behind the scenes and Brett's mind is for him. And he's got to take a guy who is four but will do nothing for himself. And he's got to carry him to one of the greatest matches because when you're not Hulk Hogan and you're not the ultimate warrior, you've got to wrestle a match that is equivalent of what they just are in their body. And Bret Hart's got to do all this thing by himself. And he's actually going to do it. And it's going to launch him into an era where he's going to dominate the 90s. So in just accomplishments – it doesn't get much better than this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, <laughs> this match, uh, we'll talk about more when we get there. It, it's a fantastic match. It's a historical match. At the same time, I feel like maybe it could be overrated as well. But, like, yeah, I mean, it's way up there, absolutely. And uh, and you have to recognize the importance of that without question. Yeah, he said... Brett said he thought for his career he needed three classics to put him over. He said he had Perfect and he had Piper, and he wanted this to be his third. He's going to have a whole lot more, but yeah, I mean, he... I think that's fair. Like, all those matches are kind of iconic, you know? They're yeah. remembered well to this day, and uh, that's another point in favor of Bret Hart, the uh, the craftsman, you know, the, the, yes. the workmanship of Brett, that he would have that in his mind. I don't know. Some people, I feel like there's kind of a resurgence of Bret Hart appreciation lately. And I feel like it's well-deserved because like you look at his career and just like from year to year to year, the way he built up these matches, which would be so memorable. And he's such a big part of them. Like you look at this match and it's entirely a Bret Hart match. um, And you recognize it as a Bret Hart match. Like that's worth a lot for sure. Yeah. If you're Vince McMahon and your money's on the line and things are not well, like how intimate is it that Bret Hart had this match in his mind? Like, you know, it existed without the British Bulldog. Like, if you take Bret Hart out of this, you got nothing. If you take the British Bulldog out of this and you can just somehow peek into Bret's head, you don't even need the British Bulldog. Mm. Yeah. So, like, you you can't ask for more if you're the guy running a company than what you get from this man. And then... Like, I, I make fun of Brett, and I'll continue to make fun of Brett, but at the same time, how fulfilling to go to England and to perform the match you saw in your head without even the help of the other person in the match. Mm. So, I don't know. I think he deserves a lot of credit, and um, I like that Piper, even though it's not something I want to sit and watch, like Piper performs the bagpipes with uh, a group, and so just to see... Like the WrestleMania opponent, there's something about Bret Hart, and it's almost you got to overcome it and you're helped by it. But it's almost like the entire company in Bret Hart's run is is in Bret Hart's corner. Like even Owen's feuding with him, but it's like, hey, I'm really trying to prop you up. Like, <laughs> so Roddy Piper comes back out, Diana's in the crowd. Like Bret Hart's run is a very small 
intimate run and not small and like all oh, fans, but just like the world gets very small. It gets very personal. It's hard to have a Bret Hart story. That's not a personal one. I think at times it will definitely feel that way. And at times it will definitely not um, like the path of Bret Hart will be a weird one at times. So I want to watch it very closely, but yes, certainly at times it will overwhelmingly have that feeling. Um, yeah. Uh, Roddy Piper showing up was random as hell. Not something I expected, but uh, you got to appreciate that he's out here kind of maybe to, to big up this Bret Hart match. Again, he has that connection to the family. And you also got a marvel that somehow he got WWF to buy his plane ticket to come over just so we could do this. <laughs> so, like, respect on that. I hope he had a great vacation. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Diana, nobody gave her her lines, I don't think, for what was going on. And so. I don't think. They will rely on Diana Smith, I think, more than once yeah. in all this. And I don't know why, because she is not a compelling speaker. I don't get it. I don't want to be mean, but you know who else is not compelling speakers? Who? Stu and Helen Hart. They are not. No. We're going to get them a lot, too. They're so. perpetually, like, 800 years old. So <laughs> I don't know what they were like before. They were probably fine. But, yeah, they are, like, the most ancient couple from oh, the God. first time we see them to the last. And, like, a lot of times I'm going to knock Bret Hart, you know, because I'm a Shawn Michaels guy. And sometimes I'm going to knock Shawn Michaels, you know, because I'm trying to be honest and – like, Michaels would get, after a while, Michaels, especially in the era he was in, which I think is more difficult because 96, but, like, you can't be the baby face with Jose Lothario as your man, kind of your father figure <laughs> over you, but for so long. But, yeah, Bret Hart, you know, withstood maybe multiple title reigns where his parents are sitting front row and, like, you know, it's like he can't be out there by himself because, you know, it might get dark outside or something. <laughs> I don't know. He's just a different kind of person, a different year, like you said. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Something about it will work. And all this, and, you know, not to be disrespectful, I think Stu Hart having, like, Alzheimer's, dementia, something probably through a lot of this. So, yeah, if he's not a compelling speaker, that's why. And yet, and yet they will make this all work. It will be very compelling at times. So, I don't know. That's It's something to see. We're going to have to watch it closely as we go here. Yeah, and I will. Last thing I will say is it's it's funny because, especially with Bret Hart, he sees this match as like you know a game changer in history, so he can openly easily say, "Yeah, I was supposed to put Michaels over, but I told Vince why I don't want to put British Bulldog over." <laughs> if someone said that about him, like if Sean had been champion, he's like, "Yeah, I said I'll put over the British Bulldog, I won't put over Bret Hart." There would still be a conversation about that to this day. <laughs> Let's be realistic. Shawn Michaels would be like, oh, yeah, I would put over Kevin Nash, you know, or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, good point. Good point. Bulldog is actually led to the ring by Lennox Lewis. So they're, they're going all out. You know, I don't know what the plan was, because it seems like the plan was always Michaels. And then they just decided we'll have Bulldogs a moment and then he'll put Michaels over. So, right. but it's a lot going into the evening. They really want to make it the Bulldogs night, even though it's not going to be the Bulldogs era. <laughs> Well, nor should it have been, but no. when you're in the UK, you're in Wembley Stadium, you have 80,000-plus fans, I think on that night you have to go all in. It would be yeah. a mistake not to, so I get it. And we're going to see the genius. You talked about Brett kind of being a heel in that promo a little bit. They'll go a little while and they'll wrestle, and we'll get into it, and the fans will be into it, and then they'll boo Brett a little, then they'll wrestle some more, then they'll boo Brett a lot, and it really feels like the vision that he had in his head – 
somehow fit perfectly with the gradual reaction of the fans. I think, and I may have mentioned this before, the true definition of like being a worker is that you are able to influence fans into kind of like following along with mm. you. You can't just like declare, oh, well, now you will do this because fans don't like it. And we've seen, you know, they won't respond right or nowadays they'll get rowdy. But man, if you like lead them there logically and you work them in that way, like that it's truly meant to be worked, man, it's beautiful. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it is part of what Bret Hart did and just how well he did it. Like it was just just really well done. Well said. And that is such, it might seem like a small distinction, but in a way that's almost everything. Mm, yeah. Ask the ultimate warrior to do that. And that's the last thing I'll say about him for the night, but ask the ultimate warrior to do that. It's wild to me that Vince McMahon can sit here at commentary front row or wherever he was for this match. And through all this era, he sees all this stuff. And now today he is apparently just like, Oh, well, it's the fans' fault. You know, they don't react the right way because they're <laughs> jerks, you know? So, you know, everyone has to be loyal and defend me. And yet, like, you were there. Like, you should understand the fans are only reacting to the thing you put in front of them. So it's just baffling that it can be the same person. But if you want to see an example of, like, great workmanship as far as, like, manipulating the crowd, I don't even know if manipulating is the right word, but just, like, influencing them watch this match and like understand fans react to what they see. It's not some like magic conspiracy. Yeah. It's, I don't know how to say this. I don't necessarily make sense because almost any musician is going to be on beat, but then there's like this idea of riding the beat and you see someone do something with the beat that is beyond being on beat. And so you've got to be in front of the fans, but you also got to be in time with the fans and maybe even a little bit behind the fans at times. And so part of it is that rational brain, but then there's a part of it that's just embodied and has to be flow and you just, you either can do it or you can't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having that exchange of energy with the fans, like mm. that is what puts somebody over the top and, it's mysterious sometimes what that can be. Cause like some of these guys we've criticized, uh, warrior said, even these guys, like for whatever reason, maybe just instinctively, sometimes they can create these connections with the fans. So that counts for so much. And then you have a guy like Brad Hart who is not doing it maybe by instinct, but who's doing it so deliberately in like such a well-crafted way. Like it's a whole nother level of something. Like it's, it's really incredible to watch. I think, this is something, okay, so when we get to 94, number one, I hate people who say, like, well, Brett was over and Luger wasn't because um, <laughs> Brett Hart was also get, getting amazing stuff, and Luger was six months past anything that was significant, and he flopped at it. So that's not fair. But as a kid, I was even watching, and when Luger, even when he would celebrate, it might be looking towards the crowd, but he's inside himself, and he's not really looking at anyone in the crowd. And Bret Hart is looking at every single person. And as a kid, I, I, w I couldn't have told you it like that. But I could tell that Bret Hart was going to win because I could tell Bret Hart had a connection that Lex Luger didn't. Yeah. And you can't beat that. It's like if, it, if it's politics and the guy grew up in a small town and he knows every single person and you move there just so you can run, the, most of the time the guy that lived there his whole life is going to win. Hmm. 
Yeah. And Bret Hart was he lived there with the fans, and Lex Luger, he was with them but not among them, and you could just tell the difference. And I've never thought about it until you said what you said. But my God, Bret, the Bret Hart connection with the crowd now is something that I want to pay attention to. It's really something, and I never articulated it quite like that either, but I think we will see in a lot of his big matches. We've already seen it with Perfect, with Piper, and his other stuff. He builds that connection like he builds everything in his career. It doesn't just magically appear like it does for some folks. Like, he will build it brick by brick, and you really got to pay attention to that, I think. I wonder if part of it, too, is that he's not a highly sensitive person. He's the opposite. He's low affect in that he is of the earth. And he grew up in the business. So he's not going to get flustered. So, like, you could connect with the crowd, but they could also bring you up and bring you down. Mm. Whereas Bret Hart, I think, can stand back and for a second assess something, assess a change or a shift, and then get back in and come in different because the thing changed. He's not going to get bothered by it in the way that other like Shawn Michaels will, will pull someone's hair and just start cussing and stomping in the ring, you know, because it's not going the way he wants it to go. But Bret Hart's not going to get flustered like that. I think you'd have to go far and wide to find a wrestler who is as cool and measured as Bret Hart usually seems to be. Like yeah. even when he's uh, even when he is mad in like '97, like he will still be this amazing craftsman. I just I think of this all the time now. He is such a brick by brick wrestler, and he makes some beautiful uh, formations out of those bricks. Yeah, here's the difference too between the, and Sean and Sean and Flair are a lot like because they're both like super sensitive. So mm. when the fans or Eric Bischoff are wrestling or a generation when, when it turns on Ric Flair, he loses his confidence in himself. Yeah. When the world turns on Bret Hart, he loses his confidence in the world. <laughs> That's spectacular, and it's so it feels so true. That gives me a strong resonate resonance. Yeah, it is. You know, like you can listen to some of his rhetoric when that world changed and, and who he thinks is at fault. And like, because when you said like, even when he's kind of he's turned heel in '97, but what I saw in my head is he would have all these like, oh, I'm mad at the fans and this isn't going, or I quit. All these great moments that we will be watching, but then he would step back throw his shoulders up and have that smug look on his face and get right back into who he believes he is. Mm. Man, I'm going to come out of this uh, uh, a much bigger Bret Hart fan than when I went in, I think. I already like Bret Hart, so I don't know. It's like more and more, like I am appreciating him. So there's a lot there. Yeah, so I'm a highly sensitive person, as we've talked about. I think you might be too. So, Mm. you know, it's a lot easier to appreciate people too when you rewatch. Like if they're not your favorite person and they dominate, it might not be your favorite thing because you might want someone else to get a shot. But now the history's kind of already played itself out, and there's nothing to do but sit back and watch. Because mm. I've always respected Bret Hart, and at times I liked him, but I've always respected him. And I think, like you said, I think this is going to be revealing, and I'm here for it. Like I'm, ha- I'm having moments right now that I didn't even plan to have. And I'm like processing and taking new things in. Oh, absolutely. So, man, Bret Hart, what must it be like? And I, I definitely agree. I think I at least have aspects of being a highly sensitive person. I'm just thinking about him and I'm like, what must it be like to not be affected by this stuff, to be able to like push it outward instead of like 
take it internally and take it personally. Mm. It must be damn nice sometimes. Like I'm yeah. not very good at that. So I'm sort of envious sometimes of that kind of person, like for the world to change, you to be like, well, it's the world's fault, man. I'd be yeah. sitting around being like, Oh no, what's wrong with me? You know, I'd be like Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels. So yes. man, it must be nice sometimes. Mm. Yeah. I didn't watch much 2000 post 2000. So I might be off on this, but Kurt Angle sometimes gives me the same vibe as Bret Hart that I feel like and then I, I kind of contradict myself because some of his behavior is so poor outside the ring that I don't know what he is but like to catch on so fast I now I want to think about who are the wrestlers who it feels like in front of 80,000 people can almost stand back and, and silence all of it and still make their choices without being swayed like who are those people Hulk Hogan that's all. I just that's that's the first thing that came yep. to my mind when I he said that. He presents it differently, but a lot of the 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 biggest stars have this temperament. I mean, I think Steve Austin uh, could be in that category that as well. That was the second name that came. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, The Rock also, I think. Um, yeah. Even though you and I don't like him, Triple H, I think, was never affected a day in his life yes. by what a fan thought about him. So well, he, a he lot of the most successful match. people who are you know, uh, their success is sustained. I think they have a kind of personality like that. Kevin Nash. Oh, absolutely. Nash. Even like we talked about warrior and Sid, I don't think they really like are affected by these things either, which is maybe why they can come in and just like have that confidence, no matter how many times it blew up and just like keep succeeding, you know, in spite of everything. So it thrives on it. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And then, yeah, like folks like, uh, Ric Flair, Randy Savage, Razor yeah. Ramon, I would say. Yes. Um, a lot of people who can be affected a lot, they can still have amazing success, but they will struggle a lot more in different aspects of their life. And if you are a Vince McMahon, who do you want the belt on long term? In the, which group? Right, right, yeah. You know, that to me, that might be the, the biggest difference between Savage and Hogan because, and that's why when we watch that feud, Savage was never going to win a feud with Hulk Hogan because you can't be like Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan be like Hulk Hogan and win the feud because it can be just as personal for both of them. And one of them is going to be blinded by that and the other one's going to be unaffected. And that's not fair. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. God. Wow. That's a lot. It's funny to me when I said it out loud, the first part, this wasn't even thoughts, like images, the image of Hulk Hogan came to mind and then an image of Steve Austin. And then you said Hogan, then you said Steve Austin. (laughs) Oh, it's crazy how that works, man. I'll I'll definitely have to be thinking about that. I really am envious sometimes of uh, these nonsensitive people, and sometimes uh, I feel superior to them also, so I guess it uh, balances out. But, man, a lot of life, I think, is dictated by that, by your level of sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Well, it absolutely, especially in a society that privileges kind of extroverted, you know, ra- extroverted behavior and rational behavior because – those people are always going to thrive at being rational, whereas the other ones, usually it's going to be a felt sense or an embodied. And again, that also goes to the privileged masculine or feminine because in the feminine, it's more being connected to the earth, being connected to your body. Mm. And in the masculine, is typically more, you know, or we're going to have an argument and like who can argue better than Kevin Nash? He makes good points. You know? <laughs> so it all so runs into Kevin. Jeez. Ooh, there's a lot to think about there, so uh, have a ball with that, if you if you will. Um, I certainly will be thinking about it, and I'm sure it'll come up again as we continue on here. 
God, I, I don't know if anybody in the history of WCW or WWF the Legacy Series has opened a big, uh, a more unexpected can in the middle of the show than what Bret Hart has done. Bret Hart shaking up our world, absolutely. So that Beethoven, he's conducting his symphony. Yeah, it's still playing. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it felt like to be the British Bulldog witnessing Bret Hart. <laughs> oh my God. But it's mm, it's all true. Okay, so it is. It's funny because we we're talking about all this. He's gonna have this match. It's very historic, and it is. It's a pretty fantastic match, I think. Like objectively, uh, whatever you like in wrestling, I think you'll find something to like here. And yet, I I alluded to this earlier. I feel like it's somehow a little overrated as well because, like, I don't think it's for me. It's not really in conversation of even like Bret Hart's best match. Yes. So. That's a testament to Bret Hart, for one thing, but I don't know. Some people, I think, would disagree, uh, so, you know, more power to them. But to me, this is a, a, an incredibly good match, which is also sort of a little bit overrated. Yeah, I, it would never even be in my mind to talk about it as a great match, like greatest matches, because, but then I wonder, too, partly maybe overrated, but also if WWF is the only thing that exists and that's, and that's what it is to these people, mm. there was a time where all you've ever seen is Hulk Hogan main events and then like Warrior Savage, what they did on this card. You know, this is the main event of a WWF pay-per-view. So like I said, I think they confuse the words greatest match with like historically great. Yeah. I mean, there's an aspect of that. It's certainly um, the best, like we haven't seen a match of this type in the main event before, like this intercontinental steamboat savage type match. Now here in the main event, a symbol of things to come, it would turn out. So there is that aspect. I think also, like, if you were a fan in the UK at this time, and and definitely a lot of, you know, the, the, the people that we know online, they may be from the UK, like, there must have been nothing like this. Like, this has to be above and beyond. Like, you wouldn't even dream that this would happen. So, so I think there's a strong element of that as well. Like, it connects so strongly with that part of the fan base that it is elevated there as well. Absolutely. And so I think, like you said, we got to honor it for the context it was in, but even in Bret Hart's catalog, it's not, I don't think it's close to, to the best of the best, but. Yeah. But, I mean, it might be up there, but like the perfect match, I like better, uh, probably both actually the 93 one as well. Just personally, um, the Piper match, I like better to say nothing of Owen Hart, of Steve Austin, of some of these other things. I don't, I don't know if I've seen their 95 match, but I feel like I might even like that one better. The Bret Hart British Bulldog match that we're going to see in 95, I think. So I don't know. I'll decide that when I get up there. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for Bret Hart's catalog in general. So I'll just say that for a moment. And I will never underestimate what it probably felt like in the moment. Yeah, exactly. To rock Wembley Stadium, to kind of change the guard of who can main event. Also, if he if he really did carry the British Bulldog like 100%, that also does something else. And I, <laughs> I think about mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. I just say I kind of believe it because like compare and contrast Bulldog's other matches, and unless he was wrestling like Owen or somebody, there's nothing like this in his catalog. This is this is such a Bret Hart match. <laughs> he does look too like several times in the night like he hasn't been among people in a long time. <laughs> Yeah, Bulldog had a lot of problems, unfortunately, and uh, 
I don't know, maybe projecting, but yeah, I think at times you can kind of uh, see he may be a little lost in there. I think about one of my favorite matches of all time, which is Super Brawl 1, Lex Luger and Sting versus the Steiner Brothers, mm. and finding out that everyone in the locker room was waiting for them to go out and fail and flop to prove that none of them were actual stars without somebody to carry them. Oh, I forgot about and, that. Yeah, and don't you think there are people in the WWF that wanted Bret Hart and Bristol to flop in that main event? <laughs> I believe it, yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, geez, that's fun. That's strange to think about, so I'll, I'll, I'll let that stew for a moment. Okay, so this is beautiful in the beginning. Bulldog hits a shoulder block that sends Bret Hart out of the ring, down that large ramp, all the way to the guardrail, and it does not look exaggerated. It does not. Um and if there's one thing you got to credit Bulldog for, it's the strength, you know, like uh, he's a very powerful wrestler and they play that to their advantage. But uh, I really, again, have to shine the spotlight on Brett here because you think about the things he does, like the psychology, you know, the offense, the, the technique perhaps, but also just like the bumping, the selling, yeah. like Bret Hart on defense is as good as Bret Hart on offense. And you do not always see that from top level wrestlers. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason that he had one of his best first outings to me with Ted DiBiase because they're both like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I noted two more things in the very beginning. I love, love, love how Bret Hart snaps every single move. It can be a headlock takedown, and he's going to snap it. So there's, like, offense and everything. And when you're smaller and not as strong, the fact that every single move has a snap in it just seems so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, always a great uh, purveyor of headlocks and such. And uh, speaking of that snap, I think we mentioned it once before, but the way he hits a suplex, I think, is uh, different and maybe better yes. than just about anyone I've seen because he does the thing where, like, he'll suplex you, but he's, like, leaving his own feet, um, like, jumping practically, and just, like, it looks so good. I love it. Yeah, I agree. And we see that in this match as well. Absolutely. Um, there's nice chain wrestling. I always like chain wrestling, but when the storyline is that these are two uh, brother-in-laws who are just always trying to one-up each other, mm. then the chain wrestling to me takes on a whole different kind of story with it. Absolutely, yeah. It feels highly competitive. And again, it's to Bret Hart's credit that he, he's never trying to go full heel in this match, but like you just there's a little flavor of it and just it raises the competition a little higher there. Yeah. And it's only when they separate from wrestling that the fans will boo him. And I think the second time you see kind of what I mentioned in that he looks a little bit taken back or appalled. And then quickly his face almost turns into, you know, what the fuck is wrong with all of you? You know, like <laughs> it, it happens quick. So it does. Yeah. And he's so reactive to it. Like, yeah. And it never feels like. Like with some wrestlers, you might be like, oh, well, they, 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 they saw that in their script, so they're going to do it, whether it makes sense or not. But, man, mm -hmm. like if they hadn't booed, Bret Hart wouldn't have looked like that. He's so reactive to what's happening. He's so in the moment. That's something we praised for other people, and now i got to turn around and praise it for Bret Hart. Yeah. It's, it's so smart. And, again, I don't want to be too hard on the British Bulldog because, like, He's never been here to defend himself and all this kind of narrative, but I'm now thinking about how many times, even in my mind's eye, it's Bret Hart and the fans and Bulldogs not even on camera. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's something to that. Hey, you know, I'll, I'll turn around and 
praise Bulldog as well because like he has his moments both in this match and in his career. I'm yes. just thinking about in a year he'll be wrestling Vader in what I think is one of the most underrated WCW matches. So like not for nothing, I mean Vader as well is going to elevate you, but you need to be of a certain quality not only to hang with better wrestlers, but let's think for a minute, if you got in the ring and you forgot the whole match and you still perform this well, like, like I will still give credit to the bulldog, even though I think, uh, you know, he is what he is, but he does some things exceptionally well. I like that. And he does deserve some credit. And I have, I have the Vader note in here as well. (laughs) Yeah. Very nice. I love that. Because like, this is launching Brett to the world title scene, but in a year he's going to be wrestling for the world title in WCW, so that's not nothing. Yeah, yeah, he'll get his moments for sure, and you know, we'll, we'll, he maybe made the best of him or didn't. He had a lot of things going on in his life, injury, demons, uh, really toxic partnership with his former partner, um, all this stuff. So like, stuff happens. Um, but yeah, in this night, like he performs as well as I think you could possibly expect him to. Yeah. I think Bret Hart hits an inverted atomic drop. Business man says reverse pile driver. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the bizarreness of Vince McMahon, because he must know the difference. I don't <laughs> know. He, like even he has to know. I don't know. It's so bizarre. Like sometimes I get where I like say the wrong word. Um, it happens to me all the time, actually. And I don't know. Maybe that just uh, maybe Vince has a little bit of that or something. Yeah. I don't know because I, I hope to God that we get this. I think I've mentioned it many times in this series. And I think it's Jerry Lawler who calls him out. And Jerry Lawler's not even in the company right now. But Jerry Lawler says, you know who it was that beat so-and-so for maybe, let's say, the IC title. I don't remember anymore. Sure, sure. Vince just says, with the British Bulldog or something like that. And he's like, what? And it's, that's not the right answer You know that they're even talking about. And it's like historically wrong. <laughs> Maybe I got all the people wrong in that, but I know the Vince McMahon part is correct. Oh, Vince McMahon is not um, – <laughs> somehow that's not surprising to me because sometimes, like, you're kind of like this in that your memory is not, like, yeah. amazing, and yet you can create, like, really great stuff. And I, I've seen your writing. I love the work you do on this show. And just, like, it's not always about, like, the careful – uh, the memory, like, Vince McMahon is not a craftsman type. He is, like, more of a, like, let's go crazy, let's go big type. Yeah. And it just works for him. So for some people, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to compare you to Vince McMahon, but um, <laughs> maybe there's a little connection there. I, I appreciate the kind words because I, my memory sucks. And, and I've seen this more in everybody, too, especially with age. Like, I was watching, I think, Jerry Lawler on Stone Cold's podcast one time, and – I was enjoying it because it was telling stories about a part of history that I don't know much about. And then all, I had to turn it off because I'm highly sensitive and I can't take embarrassment even if it's not mine. But Jerry Lawler was telling the story, I think, of Savage and and uh, Vince McMahon's relationship. Mm-hmm. And so you know that uh, Savage is going to leave, what, in 93 or 94? He's yeah. going to come to WWF, I think. And this is well pre-Monday uh, Night Wars. It's pre-Monday Nitro. Yep, yep. But nice but it's a, the emotional part is what you remember. Like Vince cries when he talks about it on camera, their relationship. But Jerry Lawrence starts saying, somebody came to us, and they're like, uh, Vince is like, we're savage. We're supposed to be like commentating tonight. And someone came to us, and they're like, turn on Nitro. He's he's on WCW. And like that can't be true because Nitro didn't exist. <laughs> but he is telling – he's not lying. He is telling it. 
And what he's telling, though, is the, the felt emotional truth of what, you know, it felt like in that moment. But, like, I can tell like, all our details are going way off the road. And I, I couldn't even finish watching because it was just, like, too much. But I think some of us – and this goes back to, again, the people who are the detail-oriented and the rational thinkers versus – I try to tell my students sometimes what it's like to teach as a highly sensitive person. Like, I don't know what the room looks like. I don't sometimes know what their face is. I can just feel like the strongest emotion blinding me, whether it's a good emotion or a bad emotion, and I either feed on it or it buries me. But I can leave that room, and when I if I, if I wanted to write an essay, I'm not going to describe the room because I didn't see the room. I'm going to describe that felt sense that kind of just dominated the space for me. Man, that, again, creates a resonance with me because, yeah, whenever uh, I am performing or I'm doing anything like that, like, I don't I don't exist in my body for a minute. or so, mm. Like, it's hard to articulate, but maybe you know what I mean if you have a yeah. similar personality. So it's very strange, but uh, I, I really feel that. Yeah, and so sometimes, like, there, there are some facts we definitely need to get right, especially if we're speaking about other people. But at the same time, the emotional truth is sometimes the truth that we're trying to convey because all we remember about the, the situation was the emotion that it conveyed. Mm, yeah. What a story with uh, Lawler and, yeah, and Vince and Savage and, yeah. Yeah. How, what, what an age we live in where people can come out and express these things. I feel like in all previous generations, like if you had these thoughts, you would just think about them until you died and no one would know about them. And now, I don't know, like, there's a lot to dislike, I think, about modern times, but the fact that people can, like, talk about this and be heard and be kind of, like, respected yes. in these thoughts and stories, I think that's very good. It's a very valuable thing that I really appreciate. And it is. It is. Um, there's something cathartic about telling the stories, and more and more our meaning is dictated simply by you work your job and you die. That's just, that's kind of a thing. And we, we're seeing people resist that, especially post pandemic, their jobs are not being filled with people. Like I don't want to be treated like that, yeah. but the way that you start having a different story is you start telling a story and you start finding audiences to share your stories with, because the essay is not linear. The essay circles about on itself. Storytelling circles about on itself so that, what I'm doing today, like you and I have done so many podcasts together yeah. and yet it'd be easy in a week or so after we're done to feel like we've never done it because mm. it needs to keep coming back and it needs, like, you need to bring it back in story. If not experience, you know, you need to circle back. You need to talk about what mattered. And that is how you have a valuable life. You've got to drill down. And I made, cause I'm reading all the young and stuff right now, but you got to come full circle where your conscious self and your unconscious self are actually together and not alienated from each other. Whereas we live this stupid surface level linear life where we do things that we don't even want to talk about just to get by and then we die, you know, <laughs> and like what you're saying is now people can sit down and say, hey, I was a wrestler 30 years ago and you might not even know these names as you listen to me, but this mattered a lot to me and it would be nice if you would listen to this story. Yeah, I mean, Randy Savage has been dead for what, like 10 years probably <sighs> and the fact that we can sit and we can talk about like he was here and then he went somewhere else and it mattered and it hurt people. It made people cry and it was important. And like, it's just so good that you can talk about that and just like, imagine even like 10 years, certainly 20 years ago, like to sit around and talk about like wrestlers crying or like promoters crying. Like you couldn't even yeah. do that. So again, there's just like, 
there's some stuff you can say now and be heard and be respected that you couldn't do in the past. So uh, I just really appreciate that. And I feel like that's at least one way the world is moving in a good direction. I agree. There's so many sides to every human being. And, you know, Vince McMahon, there's a lot of bad stuff. And, you know, that's fair to talk about. Everything's on the table. But you also have to talk about, for whatever reason, and we don't know what the reason, like, Macho Man made him cry on television. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a hell of a thing, you know. And that's these generations. Like, in one way... We could use this show just to have a superficial conversation that every audience already knows. Like in this year, the golden era ended and a new generation began. But in this moment in between, Vincent Mann both reduced Randy Savage to someone who had to leave and cried at his leaving. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay, that's a lot of stuff. Ooh, yeah, for people who came here just for the Brett Bulldog conversation uh... – <laughs> I hope you have enjoyed this because, yeah, wow, like a lot of stuff just felt like it got opened up there. That's the stories, though, that they're even trying to tell. Like the Diana stuff might not hit the way that it could if everyone was a full-time performer. But, like, you know, we're, they're trying to tell complicated stories because complicated stories register with us. And yeah. it's weird that the story might not hit, but the real life does. Like, <laughs> Bret Hart is trying to put his brother-in-law over him. And yet his brother-in-law doesn't want to be put over, and Bret Hart has to do all of this himself in the hopes that it will also lead to him being put over. And I think it's a prelude, and like you said, this may not hit on that level, but like we are going to see a lot of pain in the Hart family. Yeah. And, you know, not all of it will be emotional. Some could be silly, or some could be uh, petty or something, but like they will tell some very good stories around this, and they will feel authentic in a way that I think you cannot overvalue that is just so valuable. I mean, we're not going to talk a lot. We're not going to talk about much that's better than Owen versus Brett. So let's just wait. We're going to get to that. It's going to be amazing stuff. Yeah. I just thought about something and I can see two sides of this, but we know that almost everybody that's on a reality TV show, it's like their relationships seem to fall apart afterward. <laughs> and I think part of that is like the nonsensical world of all of that. But at the same time, you're seeing a family when you usually don't. And so how many families that are not on reality TV and you just see one of them as a performer, how many of those fall apart too? Yeah. So like lives fall apart. Like the Bret Hart, Owen Hart thing is going to be a great feud, but we know it's going to end in tragedy uh, with the Owen Hart story. So even like old fake pro wrestling where they just do silly stuff, you know, we're talking about the good of that earlier, but also we are seeing lives like the good, the bad, the ugly. I don't know. It's just even the scripted pro wrestling in some ways is telling the story of someone's life because it's their full time job. Like Owen Hart, who saw himself as a family man more than a wrestler, how much of his time was still spent in a wrestling ring. Mm -hmm. So we are confronted with the the fragility, the intimacy of all of these things. And like you said, there was a time where you just react privately to it and they can't tell their stories. You can't tell yours. You know, you don't hear the stories. I don't know. There's just a fullness now. And I'm glad that we can sit here and talk about it. Absolutely. So, and, um, I just, I think yesterday started hearing these rumors that, uh, AEW is going to run a, a Owen Hart tribute show or tournament or something. And I think that's so great that 
you know, 22 years later, um, there is a platform for that to remember, like, such a great talent like that, and just stuff like that. I don't know. It always touches me in the best way. Yeah, it looks like they just trademarked, as of this recording, King of Hearts. Yeah, that's what I was seeing, and that that's kind of where the rumors are coming around, so that's that's great. That's I hope they are able to do something like that, because that, you know, he, he deserves more conversation than he gets, and, uh, yes. I mean, you want to talk about things that can, like, draw emotion from the past, I think that's still a big one for people. Absolutely. I think everything we're talking about and everything this match is with – how much it was planned versus how much like Bulldog, this, that, and the other. All of it seems to be encapsulated in the image of Bret Hart jumps over the top rope and you think he's doing like a, like a, a splash or he's going to land on him, but he land, he comes out from behind him, grabs his head from behind and brings it down to the floor. <laughs> I don't know if it's the greatest planned move or the greatest botch of all time, but it's the greatest something I've seen in a while. It's damn good. Yeah. And again, you know, at some point it doesn't matter if Bulldog forgot and was out of position or if that was exactly the way it was meant to be because, like, when something works, it just works sometimes, and this yes. match just works. And that's a Bret Hart, too. Isn't Bret Hart is not going to allow this match not to work. <laughs> it's an incredible effort on the part of Bret Hart, and I think you, you really have to show a tremendous amount of respect for that. Yeah. Here's a fun exchange that so will lighten the mood maybe a little bit. Bobby <laughs> Hans says... Still a little fight left in that old hound, huh? And then Vince says, Davy Boy Smith has been top dog for a long time. And then Bobby says, you can see the fleas dropping from here. <laughs> it's like he, Vince McMahon can never, ever in, win the conversation with Bobby. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, you know, they're very fun through all of this. I, Vince McMahon says... Uh, this match has torn the Hart family apart. And Bobby Heenan says, I'm sick of hearing about this family getting torn apart. No, well, God, I know why he left WWF then. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, God, really that's going to be the storyline from now till at least, oh, geez, way out. Long time, yeah. A lot of Hart family drama coming, but I'm looking forward to it. I think Brett's gotten about as much praise as he deserves, but I will continue on as I look at my notes because mm. um, I think just the other week or so we were kind of mocking the old uh, backbreaker into that elbow off the second rope on the throat, you know, because like, you know, saying, well, Flair does all the things over and over and, and Brett does that. Well, I just talked about him jumping over the top rope and pulling the back of the British Bulldog's head to the floor. Now he's doing his second rope elbow drop to the back of the head of the British Bulldog. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of great sequences in this match that you could praise. I don't think I've ever seen him not do it to the front of the person. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's unique. I don't know if I've seen that either. Okay, so I've got my Vader note. Bulldog comes back, he gets his military presses, things like that, and the fans pop every time Bulldog does anything, so that's good. Oh, yeah, they're huge for that. Um Bobby Heenan does the bit where he acts like he can't even hear uh, Vince McMahon because uh, everything is so loud. So it's another yeah. good bit. <laughs> there before their time where Brett's going to kick out of the running slam and, and Davey's going to escape the sharpshooter. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, my next note is the finish. So anything else you have on the match, let's let's go through it here before we wrap okay, it up. Okay, so I said there's a beautiful belly-to-belly -belly bridge by Bret Hart looking like a young Chris Benoit. So mm -hmm. that's true. Top rope superplex bulldog. That's yeah, kind of cool. Was, 
Back in the day, people didn't do the top rope one very often. No, no, pretty rare. I agree. I have one question, and then you can take us into the finish. Okay. Two times they did moves, and one of them is a top rope superplex, where they both were laying, so, like, their heads are together after the move. And, like, an arm is still under a head. And who is it? There's a match where people are laying like that, and then they both lift their legs, and one of them catches a cradle and I think wins the match. Yeah, what is that? That's a Dynamite Kid something, I want to say. God, I need to, I need to remember that, because there's two times I thought it was going to happen. And I thought we called a match that happened, but, like, anyway, doesn't matter right now, but, yeah, so... Oh, that's going to drive me nuts because I know exactly what you're talking about. I can picture it, but I can't remember exactly what the match was. Shoot, I will try to remember, or if any of our listeners know, then please tell us. Yeah, so to the listeners, they're laying on the mat after a superplex or a suplex where they're still wrapped around each other, like head-to-head, arms, and they both lift their legs, I think, and then one of them wraps the legs, and they just get a quick. I think the one who got hit by the move. Is the one who wraps the legs and yeah, gets the win. Yeah, yeah, he does a small package. I'm, I'm quite yeah. sure that's how it is. Okay, so we'll leave that on the table, and now we'll run down the end of this wonderful matchup. Absolutely, and it is classic Bret Hart. It ends with a clever uh, pinning combination, but this time done by the British Bulldog. Bret will kind of be coming in hot. He'll be trying to do his own pin, but Bulldog will just kind of like clamp down on him, sit down, get that three count. And uh, England just goes crazy for him. It was a huge, huge reaction here for the finish. Yeah, it is such a – it's almost like – I love the finish because they're thinking uh, it's a Bret Hart thought-out finish. But at the same time, I think the crowd almost missed it in a way. Like, oh, my God, it happened. Mm. You know, and, yeah. and it almost had to catch up. Like, the wave of it had to catch up, I think, with the whole building. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Wembley Stadium is enormous. Uh, yes. so not for nothing. And yeah, like it just, it just waves through the stadium. Absolutely. Just incredible stuff. Yeah. I had a thought earlier that it looks like they're performing in front of like 10,000 people and everybody else would be outside if there was walls because they're like way out in what would be the parking lot. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But it is a big building. Uh, Bulldog is standing with the belt. I think waiting to kind of embrace Bret Hart and Bobby Heenan says, that's the belt. Stupid. Put it on. <laughs> <laughs> great line i just gotta tell you i just looked it up just to be sure and it is a dynamite kid and randy savage at the wrestling classic in 1985 that's the finish you're thinking of holy god and we called that in the legacy series we did yeah before our hiatus even so that's that's an old memory surfacing yeah because when you said dynamite kid i was thinking that's not the one i'm talking about because i feel like we called it together that is amazing Great oh, so we're coming on. What is it, 92? We still got a little ways, but, man, 95 will be 10 years of coverage of WWF. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting right up there. WrestleMania uh, 11 that year. Ooh, what a what a way to mark the <laughs> event. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, I think the last little note that I love here is Bret Hart would not immediately shake Bulldog's hand, and that's such a, in one way, it's such a stunt, and then he eventually does. But the Bret Hart character would have to make himself calm down before he did that, like because he knows he's better than Davy Boy Smith, and he knows he lost the match, and he's not happy about it. 
So I completely believe him having to take a little time before he walks over and shakes Bulldog's hand. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect fit with his his comments before the match, the way he acted during the match. I think if he didn't take that moment to, like, reel himself back in to the babyface side, it would come off as inauthentic, actually, because you don't get to stand there and be like, you're in England, but you're going to wake up in the dungeon, and, like, how dare you say that to me? And then you're not just like, oh, good job, you won, you know? It's like, it can't be that. So it, it, it is authentic. It does work. It's just another really good little touch that you have to appreciate. Yeah, allow me to reopen Carl Young knowledge in a nutshell for a moment. <laughs> a warrior is someone whose sense of self can only be injured on the battlefield, the sports field, or at the finish line. Being the best matters here. Mm, yeah, that's great. That's great. And I think, too, in, in real life and in character, the only way he can so gracefully put over the British Bulldog is both the character and the person know that they are going on to better things. Like if they were still limited to the IC title, I don't know that things would have gone as favorably for the British Bulldog. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, so yes, brother-in-law, I will leave you here as long as, long as it's made clear <laughs> that you're champion here and I am above you and we remember who is better. I will happily do this thing. <laughs> There's definitely an element of that. And yet again, I'll just say that's as it should be like between these two guys, like it's exactly the way it should have gone. So it's the way it should be with Savage and the warrior too. The warrior is the bulldog and they don't know it. They don't know it. Yeah, for sure. Oh man. What a show though. What a show, you know, uh, (laughs) I say that more for our show than this (laughs) show (laughs) because this show is a mixed bag. I'll just say the good parts are, are extremely good. But man, the stuff we covered today is more than I expected. I Yeah. Yeah, no, we went deep. Uh thank you for that conversation. You're welcome. I had no idea it was coming. I know it's gonna be a weird show because it's one of those where you go in thinking, I'm not sure what to say about some of this. <laughs> those all often turn out to be our best, so yeah. that's good stuff. And it gives us something to remember because for some reason when I close my eyes and remember SummerSlam, I see Savage in a ball at the Warriors' feet, and I would rather that not to be my last memory. Yes, please remember uh, Sherry and her outfit instead, and you'll <laughs> be much more happy in your life. So. Sherry's version of Liz carried on the shoulders of, of another superstar. Show called Twin Peaks. Love it. Yep. <laughs> Vince McMahon was a rock star in this one. Like, he had these very Great. clever comments that he sold as like almost accidental, or he, he has no idea what he's saying. Yeah, he he can be very charming on commentary. Um, I think just on the last show, we were like, eh, Vince, but here he was great. So it just shows you never know. I'm glad that you're doing bonus episodes because I'm not ready for Survivor Series. So maybe we can (laughs) work our way there. We absolutely will. There's a lot happening between now and then. Maybe even a Saturday night's main event. So I don't know if we'll be able to find the whole episode again. I think that's the final one coming up, so we'll find some good clips anyway, and uh, I will reveal those as we get closer to the show. Can you tell me why I'm paying the same amount of money, if not more, to WWE's network, and now I don't have the footage that I had a year ago? It's disgusting. I I despise Peacock, but uh, (laughs) it's what we've got, so curse you, uh, WWE, for your stupid... I don't know. That's all. It's just, 
It's a weird feeling when we've been doing the show for this long and we've been doing Saturday Night Main Events with no problem. Yeah, now, I mean, some of the most been obvious upgraded. stuff to put on there, I feel, but... Eh. I would like to see it, too, because like, it kind of matters, you know, even though they're probably not that good, but this is, until the future, John Cena era, this is, you know, the end of Saturday Night's Main Events. So it matters in the Legacy Series. Yeah, we've covered so many of them, and now, yeah, I don't know. But why put that on Peacock when you can put on, like... Your stupid reality TV show that no one cares about, you know, so. Man, so we will bring you uh, the next bonus episode, and Ms. Fan will have surprises for us, apparently. Absolutely. The Road to Survivor Series, two world title changes, uh, a lot going to be happening in addition to that. So very excited to see where that takes us. All right, we're coming up close to our time. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I had a listener comment to me. Um, not negatively, but just observationally, uh, someone who's been listening to the old WCW's episodes and we're like, you didn't always used to go like three hours every time, but now, now we seem to be unable to avoid it. It's not a plan. I would be happy, you know, if we did a shorter one, but it just, uh, it's always how it turns out. So, (laughs) yeah, I apologize for that. If that is a problem because no, we never set out to do it and maybe (laughs) get into a feel for the show. I feel like it's got to. With the shit that's coming up in the future, maybe it will get it'll get shorter. We'll see. It's possible, yeah. But I'll just say I've never heard it as a complaint, uh, just the comments. But uh, very true observation from our dear friend Amy Stewart. Um, uh, Amy, yeah, Amy's smart. Um, uh, I will say this real quick because I just got a new phone, and for the first time, I went to um, where our podcast is actually located, and what I saw was a bunch of like one hour and a half shows and things like that. And I thought, my God, we never did that, did we? <laughs> It seems wild to think of now. How did we ever cover that stuff? But uh, I guess we weren't pontificating about um, highly sensitive people. I swear we were, though, so I don't we know. Were, like, <laughs> we were never not pontif- pontificating oh, about whatever the hell oh was. Oh, gosh. All right. Anyway, uh, if you want to make your comments as well, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Also, find us on LOPForums.com, where we have a great thread for conversation as well as a lot of other great written material on WrestlingHeadlines.com as well. Another great uh, site for a lot of great written material. You can see about wrestling and, of course, LP Radio, all the other great shows on our channel that you can check out and experience this crazy world, this crazy industry. We can all do it together. It's a great time. Until then, we are on the road to Survivor Series 1992. That is next time in two weeks. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Absolutely. And if you need to adjust your three hours, you could be like our prof who sometimes takes an hour each morning to watch part or listen to parts of the episode. So there's many ways to experience the three hours, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time, uh, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite.
He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I've never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature 